0: Hi, everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're doing well. So we got three callers on the show for tonight. Uh, Just a quick preview of what we talked about. I hope you'll find it fascinating. It was a great, great show. I think you'll really enjoy it. First caller was a father who wanted to ask about, how do I deal with kids who are bullying or being aggressive towards my son? And we had a great conversation about proactive steps that you as a parent can take to deal with these kinds of situations. I think you'll find that very helpful. The second caller said, okay, well if intelligence is kind of unevenly distributed, right, smart people, not so smart people, and it's kind of genetic, then shouldn't smart people be responsible for taking care of less smart people? We had a great conversation about, about intelligence and social responsibility and all that fantastic, fantastic stuff. The third caller was asking about, shouldn't we just Dump the reason and evidence thing and go for straight on emotional gut punching <laughs> like a lot of uh, the uh, media does and some of the social Marxists and so on. And it's a great question about how do we best affect change in society? Do we drop the high road and go for what seems to be working the most in society at the moment? So these were fantastic, fantastic questions. I hope you'll stay tuned to a very epic rant <laughs> at the very end that uh, I think you'll really enjoy. And uh, thanks, of course, so much for listening. Here is the shoe. All right. Well, up first today is John. John wrote
1: in, and his question says, What should I do when a bigger child is aggressive with my son? A mother complained when I protected my son from a boy who pushed him. Am I overprotective? Perhaps because I was bullied by my mother, and on a regular basis
2: by kids at school. That's from John. Oh, hi, John. How are you doing? Um, I'm fine, Stefan. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I'm well. Uh, How old's your son? Three. And what's the
0: environment that he's being pushed in?
2: Um, I've been going to uh, the sort of forest school group. It's an outdoor activity. Um, So he gets to, uh, I don't know, play in some mud and uh, sit around a campfire um, and be around kids of different ages. And yeah, that's like... 99% ninety nine percent of the time it's really great um he meets some of his friends there uh, but occasionally there'll be some other children there that pop in with one of the other mums and uh, one of them uh, can be a bit a bit a bit rough um, and on one occasion he pushed my son quite hard not not enough to knock him over um so I put my arm out between them, between my son and this other kid who was bigger. I guess he was, um, probably seven or eight. And I just sort of firmly, but gently pushed him back away so that he was sort of out, out of arm's length for each of my son. Um, and you know, I'm easily triggered by aggressive or, or bullying activity. Um, and this other mother didn't take too kindly to it although i didn't hear about this until uh, nearly a year later a uh, year she sort of, yeah yeah she got pregnant again and she was really sensitive <sighs> around that time and she wouldn't sort of confront me about it or talk to me about it she went wait 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 hang
0: on hang on <laughs> it's it's always like this show has we should have a countdown to female excuses Right, (laughs) which is like call a starts if it involves a woman. Count down to female excuses starting now, and fairly (laughs) very few people make make it more than a minute or two. So maybe I'm (laughs) missing what you're saying, John. But were you implying that she was sensitive because she was pregnant and therefore couldn't tell you what was bothering her? That's what she says. Okay, well then you need to say that's what she says because um, pregnant women are not insane like <laughs> nobody says i'm sorry pregnant women there's a vote it happens to fall while you're pregnant you can't be have any moral responsibility or any possibility of emotional self-regulation because hormones and growing fetal tissue soon to be harvested by <laughs> government-supported uh, groups in the u.s but um you uh, nobody says oh well your honor she was shiplift shoplifting but she was pregnant, so let's just let her go, right? Full moral responsibility. Pregnancy is not an excuse. Uh, menstruation or giving on your period is not an excuse. Uh, you know, just let's let's not do that, all right? I mean, uh, so she, your son, her son, did something that was aggressive towards mm. your son, and you intervened gently to, to save it, and then she didn't bring it up for a year. That's all on her.
2: Please don't blame her fetus. Uh, not even her son. What do you mean? Uh, It wasn't her son who was aggressive with my son. It was um, actually one of the uh, leader's children um, that did it, um, or or like a part-time leader. She's there sometimes, sometimes she's not, most of the time she's not. Um, But this is another mother who just didn't like the way uh, I dealt with that boy who was aggressive with my son. And there were all sorts of things that were fired my way, um, there was another occasion as well when my son, Okay, was, hang on, hang on.
0: So it was the leader of the group's son who was aggressive with your son.
2: Yeah, there's like two. And did the, uh, did the, is a woman? Uh, yes, it, it is a woman. Yes.
0: And did she talk to you about any issues she had with your behavior?
2: I don't think she was even watching cause she was leading. So she, well, she, but the other, other women had a lot to say about it and I'm sure they would have talked to the leader, right? Um I'm suspecting maybe they didn't, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard this from anybody else apart from this this one other mum okay, and uh, this other mum brought it up that
0: that this was some sort of issue that you uh gently restrained the other son from the other kid from pushing your son
2: uh yes, that was an issue for her, and she had an issue uh one other time when a a smaller boy pushed my son right over. Um, and I got quite angry and I, I called this other boy, a nasty boy. And, uh, I kind of don't like that on reflection myself. And how old was that. the boy, uh, how old was the boy who pushed over your son that I you called guess, nasty? I think he was probably about five or six. And how old was your son when this happened? Uh, still three. Oh, so it was an older boy.
0: Was it an older boy in both circumstances who pushed over your son?
2: um yes i think so yes okay yeah, yeah time, i mean i think i think saying a an, an nasty boy
0: to a five-year-old or six-year-old i don't know if you said it to him or just about him but that's obviously not ideal right because yeah yeah he's just I, trying to survive the environment he's he's placed
2: exactly in. yeah when i when i heard that back from her i kind of regretted in that and i i'm like well i i can't even remember saying that because it was like a year a year ago but um i thought yeah, yeah that's not something i really want to to be saying to a child and did anyone young. have uh sorry john
0: did any of the women who talked to you about this did any of them have any issues with the boys who pushed your son
2: not that i'm aware of no i've, I've heard nothing about that no I, so the I, only
0: problem you see was you being assertive. Exactly. That's
2: the Now, let I me just it.
0: remind you, John, I'm going to assume that you're Caucasian or white? Uh, yes, that would be correct. Now, just remember, John, this is something that those who aren't of this persuasion really have a tough time understanding. You are never allowed to be assertive. mm right? I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life. You are never allowed to be assertive. You must always bow down to everyone else's problem narrative. You are not allowed to stand up for yourself. That's
2: oppression. Seems to uh, sound about right. Yeah, does this, does this ring a bell with you at all? It, because remember, all does. that privilege
0: you've got as a white male, you are never allowed to stand up for yourself. Uh, that is being scary. That is being intimidating. Uh, that is being a patriarch. Or some sort of white supremacist or whatever it is, right? But so that's an important thing to remember when dealing with these kinds of situations that everyone has been programmed to bully white males and no white male is allowed to stand up for himself or you will face escalation until you comply and, and kowtow. And in general, right? Maybe there are exceptions and so on. But that is um, uh, that is an important thing. Now, I don't know what the race is of the people around you. It doesn't really matter. But the fact that uh, women um, come to you uh, who's protecting your son and the only issue they have is with you asserting a safe physical space around your son, um, you know, that's just an important thing to, to recognize that that's what, uh, that's what goes on in this world, that you're simply not allowed to assert yourself. I mean, if another, like if, a, let, let me put it this way, if your son had pushed over a little girl what do you think would have happened if another mother had kept your son at bay during that interaction?
2: I think something probably would have been said about that at the time.
0: About, and what would have been said?
2: Um, could you stop him doing that, please? Something along that lines or, I mean, these, these are actually quite conscious and generally aware people, um, compared to the average uh, person. So, so yeah. if, your, if your son had pushed over a
0: little boy, you would have been at fault. But when your little boy gets pushed over by someone else and you intervene, you're also at fault, right? Oh, yeah. That seems.
2: To be hang the on, case hang on. There's the a victim. common thread
0: here. I'm just, just trying to figure out what it is. Who's at fault? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's just something to remember as a whole. That makes it more difficult
2: when it comes to being uh, assertive because nobody, nobody takes your side, right? That's right. And the strange thing is, the mum who complained about this uh, is, it was actually at the time in a relationship with a physically violent boyfriend as well. Um, and, and her child, who's just a year older than mine, had had witnessed and seen some of this stuff. So, yeah. Wait, so she was uh,
0: she was an unmarried mum who was exposing yeah. her children. So she was a single goddamn mother exposing her child to an abusive man. Yeah. And the only issue was you protecting your son. That's right. Yeah. God it's, Almighty, excuse sense. me while I just summon up a deep philosophical dry heave. Yeah! <laughs> 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 All right. All right. All right. Mm. Uh, well, good for you. Uh, I'm sorry for this uh, tramp uh, sort of uh, uh, this masochistic tramp's kid. I'm sorry that uh, she gets turned on by guys beating her up while her son watches. I'm terribly uh, sorry about the son, but uh, of course you did the right thing, it seems to me, in in keeping your son safe from physical aggression. You know, single moms have a bit of a tough time when they see involved dads. Because mm. deep down, right, deep down, they know that that's what they should be providing for their children, right? When they see... A happily married a couple, when you, when you see a, a dad who's involved and, and tender and caring and protective, she knows deep down, right? Women have maternal instincts, just as men have paternal instincts. Uh, she knows deep sure. down that she's uh, shortchanging her kid by having some, you know, rough nut, mealy-mouthed uh, motorcycle-wearing, spanner-wielding jerk-off around her kid that she can't, she can't get a decent guy, right? And that's, that's pretty rough. Yeah, that is pretty tough and that creates a complicated relationship you know like like when you are i don't know if when you were in high school was there i remember there was a girl in my high school um who was the queen of the high school the queen bee of the of the high school uh she was the prettiest she was the coolest and everybody i actually did ask her out screwed my courage to the sticking place and all that a story for another time but um the guys all have this really complicated relationship with the queen bee, right? Because mm-hmm. they all want her, um, but they all know that the steps to try and get her to go out with you are, let's just say, steep and jagged, <laughs> to say the least. And, uh, and of course, she's an expert at repelling advances, whereas most teenage boys are not experts at closing advances, you know? They don't have a lot of game. <laughs> at least I didn't. But anyway... Um, I spoke to my girlfriend
2: about this, sorry to interrupt, but to, to like come up with, well, what would be the best strategy in this situation? Um, Because she felt a bit embarrassed about this complaint and, and, um, wait, wait,
0: have we just, have we just finished my part of the story? Sorry. I was just in the middle of a story and it sounds like we're going off in some other direction
2: yeah, I just wanted to come back to the to the um, talk about we will do. we'll come back. we'll come back. Okay. right. so when you're when so when you're
0: surrounded by single moms, if you're a good dad and there are single moms around or women who have unhappy marriages and they see you playing with your child and engaged with your child and so on, that's yeah. you're kind of like you've become like the cheerleader <laughs> in high school, and they have complicated uh, relationships uh, with you. That's just something to be aware of. When you're an engaged, involved dad. So, okay, that's something to to remember. But go ahead, back to uh, what you were about to say.
2: Yeah, that makes that makes sense, and and thank you for that. It, yeah, I, I I guess I do probably um, present an interesting challenge for for some of the single mums who who are having the worst of it, and and yeah, it's as well. What do you mean by having the worst of it? Well, you know, some single mums are kind of working more functionally with their ex partners and whereas others are having this crazy shit going on and um wait having having the having the worst of it you know like somebody who gets
0: hit by lightning out of a clear blue sky that's kind of having the worst of it but if i choose to get involved in an abusive relationship that's not just having the worst of it that's creating the worst of it that's actively pursuing and having sex with the worst
2: of it yeah well she had another kid with this guy and then left him
0: Right. So she sucks
2: <laughs> yes. as a mom,
0: right? She, she's terrible as a mom and her kids are paying the price and your kids, uh, your son in that instance was paying the price and all of us in the future are going to pay the price. So she is uh, terrible uh, as a person and as a mom and all that. And deep down she knows that. And because she's a terrible person, she's not going to take responsibility, but she's going to get all passive aggressive and weird, right? For sure. Mm-hmm. And these women used to be regarded as terrible people. Uh, this was common knowledge. You know, the the mid to late 20th century has been this giant time of unlearning stuff that we all used to know as a society. Uh, but um, uh, And it has been, of course, a lot of Marxism and social Marxism and all that. Um, they, uh, they put people in these economic categories and strip free will of them. And um, feminists, of course love to have theoretical responsibility for women, but the moment that you say women are responsible for who they have sex with and they're responsible for providing fathers, which are desperately needed by their children, in particular their sons, but also their daughters, and, and they're doing bad things by not creating those resources or, or keeping a good man around for their kids, suddenly they're all just victims and the men just run away and it takes two to hang the same. Mm. So has this happened... Since you said it happened once a year ago?
2: Uh, Well, there were two incidents a year ago. Right. One of them was the uh, bigger child pushing my son, and the other one was a smaller child pushing my son over and then me saying something nasty about the the other kid, the aggressive kid. Right. And
0: when did this last incident happen?
2: Uh, These incidents were both a year ago, I guess within a few weeks.
0: So why is this a big issue for you now if it was a year ago and hasn't happened in a year?
2: Um, I I guess because she brought it up uh, a a couple of months ago. The terrible mom? Yeah. Um, And I kind of, I don't know. There was a time where I initially thought, yeah, I need to talk this over with her and I'd like to get some closure around it. Uh, and, I, no, and then i no. and then i and then i thought about it and i said i said to myself no fuck you i don't, i don't really need to talk to you or have you in my life so um no listen i i know what you mean because you know, there I'll is when it. you're
0: a responsible and mature person there's always this desire i right? have this desire to bring the standards of maturity to everyone you come in contact with but it's really not a good idea mm. uh, people have to earn the right to get closure from you. People have to earn the right to civil conversation from you. Um, Honesty and intimacy is not like a vagina to be handed out at a NASCAR rally in the back alley or under the bleachers, right? It's something that people earn from you, like honesty and integrity and virtue and consideration and empathy. These things must be earned by people. And uh, it is the great tragedy of an entire group of people uh, in the world that um, just believe it's somehow some... Existential duty to provide virtues to those who don't provide virtue in return. So yeah, good call. Yeah, don't don't talk things out with people who are uh, weird and and dysfunctional and uh, aggressive and whatever. Right.
2: For sure. Yeah, I've I've given up on, on that um, now and not not too bothered with it. But it did leave me with the question of of what's still what's the best path. I, I spoke to my partner about this and we had we had a bit of a to and fro. Um, very politely and diplomatically because we're, we're very mature. Um, and one of the suggestions she came up with was, well, just just pick your son up and sort of um, – or our son up and, and, you know, back off and take him away somewhere else. And I said to that, no, well
0: – No, 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 no. I, I got to I, – sorry.
2: I got to – We didn't do anything gotta, wrong, gotta, you know. No, no, no.
0: <laughs> you know, I got to disagree with all of that. You know, it's like saying, okay – so, John, here's what you do. You go take your child to the zoo, you, but you bring some extra steaks and you you slip those extra steaks into your pocket. Make sure they're nicely marinated, full of blood and all that. And then what you do is you lower your child into the lion pit, but then you throw the steaks somewhere else so that the lions go elsewhere rather than attacking yeah. your child. Then you lower yourself down and, you know, maybe you have a pointed stick or something like that uh, and or, you know, the soundtrack to uh, – to Lion King or something and you know what else it is that drives animals away and, and, and like it's all all right okay well how about not putting your kid in the lion pit to begin with then you don't need stakes mm. you don't need soundtracks you don't need sharp ch- pointed sticks uh, and so the key thing here is do not have your child around dysfunctional parents and their children mm. yeah
2: yeah well the, the problem there is that you know most of the time this group is fine all the kids are fine but occasionally this mum comes along. And I don't necessarily know when she's coming, and she's bringing this big kid who's a bit aggressive. And um, so there's a bit of an element of unpredictability in it. I, c- I can't always know. Okay, with- so if the mom comes by, then you leave. Mm. Right? I mean, if, if there is
0: a dysfunctional family around, I mean, listen, I don't <laughs> I don't want to get into all of, but it's a job interview. Hey, would you like your child to spend time with my child? How interesting. Let's sit down and talk for four hours first, (laughs) right? I mean, we we interview uh, people that we hire for our companies um, with much more attention to detail than we do Having our kids play with other families' kids, right? I mean, you got to talk to these parents. You got to look for the warning signs. You got to look for mm. the, you know, just throw your kid in with with whoever's around, right? I mean, you got to, you know, for your friends, you wouldn't just go and become friends with just anyone. You wouldn't just go and hang around at a bar and just become friends with everyone, right? Who just happened to be there. And you really do want uh, to make sure that your children are surrounded as much as possible by functional people and people say oh well there are dysfunctional people in the world and you gotta deal with them no you don't you really Mm -hmm. don't you can design a life free of dysfunctional people it takes some work but it's well worth it and the great thing is of course if your children are around functional people they don't speak screwed up and so they really will they for their whole life they'll be safe from screwed up people because they'll see them and they will steer clear of them instinctively
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And this is a mom that doesn't come very, very often, you know, once maybe in every 10 weeks or 20 weeks. Yeah.
0: Okay. And that's, you know, what you do is, but you say to your child, you say, look, um, this is a single mom. Uh, She's with a, she was with a mean guy. She had a kid with a mean guy. The mean guys left and uh, her kids are unfortunately, you know, not, not the fault of the kids. They're just trying to survive, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's the kid's fault. You know, people get confused about all this stuff. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it it doesn't matter if the shark is hungry. I still don't want it biting my leg. It's not necessarily a moral thing for the kids, right? I mean, they're just kids. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. You know, if, if a rock is rolling down a hill, it doesn't have any intention to bash my brains in. But I'm still going to hot foot it out of there right quick. <laughs> so, uh, so you say, you know, you, what I would do is say to my son, okay, you know, I've got this. My spider sense is tingling around this family. Plus, you remember that incident from a year ago, and and so on, right? And um, uh, the I, you know, I don't. This this kid is not up to scratch in terms of playing with you. So you know, love to go yeah. to these areas, but I'm telling you, if this if this woman shows up, uh, you know, I'm going to pretend I got a phone call, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna hit the road. And uh, and I want you to tell me anytime you feel hey, hinky around kids. Anytime you feel. Yeah. That there's something's amiss, right You really want your kids to trust their instincts. Um, that's really, really important mm. and um, but it's your job to evaluate the parents of the kids playing because it's not just about a pushing incident at all. I mean this, this one thing for once a year or whatever, right? but it's about the whole interaction and who you're surrounded by, who you allow, whoever you, whoever's around your kids, your kids assume you vetted and approve of, right. Right. Like my daughter, when I cook her, I cooked her dinner tonight and she doesn't sit there and say, is this poison? Is this, has this food gone off? Is there is there mold in it? Right. She doesn't say that because she knows I have vetted the food. I know the food is good and I've cooked it and it's, it's good to eat. Right. And so every time you serve a meal to your kid, they assume that the meal is good to eat, that you've approved of it, that it's safe and so on. Right. And it's the same thing with kids who are around your kids whoever is around your kids, adult, child, doesn't matter. Kids assume that you have vetted and approve of to the point where they're around them. And uh, you need to be, if you don't approve of that person, then don't let that person around your kid. Because Mm -hmm. that's an implicit seal, a good daddy seal of approval is letting some kid around your kid. Um, And if that kid turns out to be Dysfunctional, or or destructive, or weird, or troublesome, or whatever it is, and it doesn't have to be as obvious as a push. It can be something whispered to them on the far side of the playground. It can be um, just some weird game. It can be grabbiness. It can be um, carelessness. Right? Some kids uh, are not aggressive, but just fundamentally careless, uh, and that can be dangerous as well. And so, who if if some child is dysfunctional around your child? that will reflect on you as a parent in your child's mind, because it's your job to make sure that their play companions are good and decent people. Agreed. Yeah. Has your son talked about this at all with you?
2: Mm, no, he hasn't. I don't recall him bringing those incidents up. He was, he was just upset at the time and, um, it hasn't been mentioned again, right? But it was, Something strange happened a few weeks later that that same bigger kid was there um, and and in somewhat better spirits, but he was trying to get some uh, bubble mixture off my son, oh um, know, off me, and my son was popping the bubbles I was blowing, um, but he was also throwing sticks at the bubbles, and one of these sticks hit the big kid. Uh, Your son was My son threw this big stick at a bubble. Um, but it ended up going in this big kid's the the, the aggressive kid's face and, and whacking him, and uh, he got. Very now, how old was your son at this point? Still, this is last year. Uh, no, this is this year. Yeah, still three. Mm.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, you know, you need to prevent your kid
0: from throwing sticks when there are other kids around, yes. right obviously.
2: That's right. That's a rule since um, he poked someone with a stick uh, a while ago. So now he's not supposed to have sticks. He's just not good. Well, there. he can have them, right? I mean, just not. Not near other children. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, you can
0: even have sticks around other children. He just can't be throwing them or poking them, right? <laughs> yeah. And are you not married to the mom?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You're not married to the mom? I'm not married, no.
2: And how long have you guys been together? Um, We've been together since seven years, eight years. Right.
0: Um, Okay. I'm just curious. I don't want to sort of poke around that as if it's a problem. I'm just kind of curious. Um, Why not married?
2: Um, Why not married? Um, Can't see the point in it, really just just a bit right. of paper etc
0: right okay i'm going to assume that the legal rights wherever you are are all the same whether you're common law or married
2: um no i don't think so there are some differences married marriage grants yeah. certain privileges i guess yeah yeah I'm like i'm just
0: thinking in terms of um, inheritance and um Uh, You know, should something happen to one of you and all that kind of stuff. I'm just something to look into if you haven't already. Just uh, you don't want to find that stuff out too late.
2: Oh, yeah. We have, um, you know, like wills and and so forth set up and and trust funds. That kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that would be my suggestion. Um, You don't want to be playing catch up. Um, and, and try and just try and keep the, um, dysfunctional kids away from your, your kid, uh, and certainly keep the dysfunctional families and, and you've got to vet that in advance. Don't wait for something to happen. I mean, certainly with this show, we've talked a lot about signs of dysfunctionality and so on. And you'll find that stuff when you look at, um, the, the parents and so on, you know, the obvious things like, you know, whatever, you know, physical markers and so on. But, um. I would, uh, yeah, I would definitely say work on uh, making sure to prevent, you know, f- for me, most of parenting is, you know, not how fast can you drive to the hospital, but how can you prevent an accident without inhibiting, right? Uh, there's, there, there was this philosophy that was around for a while, which would basically, you know, wrap your kids in bubble wrap and they'll have a great childhood, right? I mean, they just keep them inside and, or keep them from climbing trees or whatever. And uh, it, hasn't, um, it hasn't worked out very well. Because, of course, uh, kids are inactive and they' become paranoid about the outside world and uh, and they are um, developing um you know, health issues as a result of this, right, so you want your kids to be out there having fun and engaging and so on, but uh you want to be you want to be the filter on their social engagements to make sure that they can relax and enjoy their social engagements without weird stuff going down so um um, it can it can get complicated too, you know. Like, I mean, if there's if there's some weird parent around and your kid their kid is aggressive and you try and restrain that kid, I mean, you you don't know what kind of weird stuff could could come out of the pipeline from there. So, uh, I'm a big one for that kind of prevention rather than cure. Okay, thanks, Steph. You're very welcome. Uh, very best to you, and uh, I really, really, of course, appreciate your sensitivity as a dad. Your your son is a lucky specimen. Thank you. Thanks, John. Take care.
2: Bye. All right. Thank you,
1: John. Up next is The Meal. He wrote in and said, I'm a longtime viewer of the show, and as long as I've watched it, you've fervently battled against the evils of socialism and how it's just a tool for the less intelligent and hardworking to get ahead through government handouts that are funded on tax dollars that are essentially stolen at gunpoint from the rich and successful. However, you also state that intelligence is a very strong predictor for future economic success and that unintelligent people tend to make not so great decisions like having kids without financial stability, not choosing the right partner, and taking out huge loans. To me, this raises an interesting moral question. Do we have some duty to protect the less intelligent from themselves, perhaps the same way we might support a person who is born disabled? You often jump on the single mothers for being moochers of society and not taking responsibility for their actions, but it seems a tad cruel to condemn someone to a financially ruined life because they weren't intelligent enough to recognize consequences. I'm not saying that gives the government the right to take our money, but it does on some level feel unfair. Is high intelligence just winning the genetic lottery? I'd like to see you address it philosophically. Do we have a duty? And if not, why? That's from Mm. Emile.
0: That's a great question. And and lots of people wrestle with this. And this is where some uh, libertarians, I believe Charles Murray among them, have made an argument for a guaranteed minimum income because uh, the analogy would be something like this. Um, Let's say that uh, you made $50,000 more a year for every inch of height you had over five foot six. It was just, that's the way, that's the way the economy worked. Everything was a basketball team or something, right? Even though there was a five foot three guy who played in the NBA, it's not particularly common because, you know, I guess he dribbles under people's legs. But um, uh, you you don't earn your height. you just It's just the way that you are. It's the way you're born. It's the way you grow. And uh, if height was positively correlated with income, uh, then wouldn't it be fair to take some of the extra money that people got through the unearned, attribute called height and give it to those who are shorter. And in the same way, um, people who are very smart like to um, say, well, you know, I've worked hard for my success, right? And, uh, uh, and, uh, and therefore, I deserve to keep the money for my success. However, if intelligence is um, to some degree hereditary, just as height is, right? Uh, so just very, very briefly for those who don't know, right? So uh, there's something called G- um g which sounds like an expostulation from a stereotypical american but it's just the letter g and it stands for general intelligence and the guy who developed it in the 1920s i think he said we just have to call it g we can't call it wisdom or even intelligence or smartitude or you just have to call it g because you you can't you can't give it any specific name it's going to confuse people so g is just general intelligence and uh, it's measurable by a variety of tests. The most prominent of which, of course, is the IQ test. And the IQ test uh, was developed initially to find out how well kids were going to do in school, and it does that very well. Uh, the um, the IQ test, the SAT tests, uh, and um, the graduate school tests, and so on, are all very good at predicting outcomes for students. But it doesn't just predict outcomes for students. IQ tests uh, very, very closely predict how much money you're going to make. Uh, IQ tests also predict your longevity, how long you're going to live. It also predicts whether you're going to have an accident, an accidental death or not. It also going to predict how stable your marriage is. IQ is also going to predict how honest you are. Higher IQ people tend to be more honest. You know, the evil genius uh, that uh, you always see portrayed in movies is just a way to make less intelligent people feel more virtuous. Ooh, intelligence is scary and evil. And... um Uh, And and IQ also predicts your uh, conformity to social norms. Uh, It also predicts um, whether you're going to end up going to jail or not, whether you're going to run into trouble with the law. It also predicts whether you're going to be an alcoholic. It also predicts whether you're going to be a drug addict. And um, so IQ is a very, very valuable resource in uh, human society. And of course, for those who don't know, there is uh, a bell curve. And uh, about 5% of people are in the very low IQ range, uh, you know, 75 to 85, about 25% of people are sort of 85 uh, to 90. Uh, And then about 50% of people are 90 to 110. And then 110 to 125, I think is another 20% of people and then 5% of people are 125. And over. And this varies by ethnicity and it varies by a variety of conditions. It varies also for men and women in that uh, women tend to be more narrowly clustered around the center of the um, of the IQ bell curve. Right. So there are more women uh, in the middle, which means women are less likely to be like complete idiots uh, down at the low end. And they're also less likely to be complete geniuses up at the high end. The bell curve for men is sort of flatter and 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 wider. And um, so, uh, the intelligence is uh, something that is is very real. Uh, it is very measurable and it's very predictive. And then the question becomes: Is it genetic? Right? Is it heritable? Is it something that we get like height? Uh, is 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 genetic? Right? I mean, and yes, it actually turns out that it is significantly genetic, and and it actually it tracks about the same level of genetics uh, that that height does, and. Um, They've done this with a variety of studies. So siblings raised apart end up with very similar IQs. Um, Siblings who are raised apart end up with more similar IQs than adopted children and siblings raised in the same environment. And IQ is confusing to people a lot because... um, Uh, And again, if you want more details on this, we've done interviews on this show with with, uh, Charles Murray, with um, uh, Kevin Beaver, and with James Flynn, all of whom are are experts in this area. We've got more coming up because it is a very interesting area. But IQ is confusing for people because when you measure IQ, it doesn't stabilize until later in life. So let me give you an example. So if you just think of height, um, uh, uh, boys and girls, when they're born, are pretty much the same height. And then for a while... Girls are taller than boys. And then what happens is, like after puberty, and you know for a couple of years after puberty, it tends to shake down to what we accept that you know men are generally a couple of inches uh, taller than women. When you measure I.Q. Uh, between men and women and amongst various groups, it looks like it's kind of all over the place. But then it tends to settle out later in life. And then IQ throughout your life is going to remain one of the most constant things that you have. It's even more constant than height because, you know, we shrink a little bit as we get older. And so uh, IQ is is very stable throughout life, but it tends to settle down after a certain amount of back and forth earlier on in life. And this is why, uh, you know, if you test uh, boys and girls when they're 13, the girls appear to be smarter in some ways. And so it is, um, and their estimates range from between 50% heritable to 80% heritable. And the challenge, of course, is that the non-heritable aspects of IQ, we would normally, would assume to be parenting, right? I mean, do you read to your kid? Do you encourage them to read? Do you sit down and play uh, with them and so on, right? Uh, this turns out to be completely irrelevant. <laughs> you can't possibly, they, they really can't find anything. That parents can do to raise their IQ. Now, parents can do things to lower their IQ, right? To lower their kids' IQ. You know, you, you pull a Harry Potter sadistic child abuse environment, lock the kid in a like in a, a little hole under the stairs for a couple of years. Yes, they are going to, um, uh, they're, they're not going to be as smart. And in the same way, like if you don't give your kid enough food, they won't grow to their, to- their normal height, the natural height. But if you give them more food, they don't get taller. So, good enough parenting. Does not, after that, it doesn't make your kids smarter. Which school your children are going to go to will not make them smarter. Like whether you go to public school or private school, your kids are going to end up the same height. Whether you go to public school or private school, your kids are going to end up just about as smart. Now, this doesn't mean that it's the same experience. Right. Just because your kids aren't going to be any taller in private school or unschooled or public school doesn't mean that they're all the same emotional experience. So this is not an argument as to put your kids in public school. It doesn't matter. But um, uh, you can't make your kids smarter as a parent. Uh, And there was, in fact, um, uh, the studies have all been debunked. Like there was a guy who uh, there was a Mozart effect that if you play your kids Mozart, they get smart. It's all nonsense they had to give refunds and know the baby einstein stuff i think they had to give refunds for that stuff as well and so uh no one has ever found a way to increase iq now there are some you know some breastfeeding arguments some arguments about spanking and so on like not spanking versus non-spanking and so on that seem to indicate that good parenting because again remember they they're dealing with the 80 to 90% of parents who spank and who knows how many of the others are lying so parenting as a whole relative to where it will be in the future is still at a very low uh, standard so when they say well parenting doesn't have an effect i assume that you know if if um uh, if parenting is at a very low standard, if, if parents are absent, if parents, if there's single parents around, a lot of single parents, uh, if government, if most kids are in government schools that are crappy uh, and, and if uh, they're not breastfed long enough uh, and they're hit a lot and so on, then I think it's going to be hard to uh, get the right amount of uh, information. I think that good parenting will help your children develop intellectually. And what I mean by that is it's not like everyone just became magically smarter since the scientific revolution. It's just that with the scientific revolution, people's intelligence can be harnessed a lot better. Uh, because people go into science rather than into religion or, or, or into become scientists rather than priests and so on. And this is why I am really trying to uh, uh, put philosophy out in as friendly and consumable a fashion as humanly possible. Um, it, it, you, you had to be kind of a genius to run computers 50 years ago or 40 years ago, now, you know, uh, every mouth-breathing neckbeard can uh, run a computer on his hand with the swipe and this and that and the other. So making things more user-friendly is a great way of harnessing and extending our capacity to do smart things, to, to, to do intelligent things. Um, so, uh, you, you know, there's, there's an, an argument about human evolution that back when uh, basically you had to go in and club an animal to death to, to kill and eat it. Uh, that it was dangerous right you had to be big you had to have heavy bones thick muscles and you had to be able to withstand a lot of punishment because you even a gazelle you go in and you kick that the gazelle kicks you in the jaw man you got to be fast you got to, right but then when um, uh, human beings developed uh, spears and bows and arrows and particularly when they figured out how to distill things like frog poison and so on to poison then they could take down the animals at a distance right When we developed tools, it changed our bodies because then you didn't need to be as big and as strong and as heavy because the big, strong, heavy, big bone bodies take a lot more calories to maintain. And so um, human evolution shows fairly clearly that people got smaller and lighter because running uh, and quickness of reflexes in someone became more important than just being this big ogre who could, you know, club a bear to death with his bare hands. (laughs) However cool that is, it was not evolutionary advantageous once you got bow and arrow and spears and blow darts and things like that and there are um, bushmen uh, in, in Africa who are, you know, five foot tall or less, very slight, uh, very fast, uh, and compared to the uh, the um, hominids that were there before them who were sort of big and heavy before about 40,000 years ago when this big creative explosion happened. Tools have been around within the human species and pre-species for two and a half million years, but there was a big blow up in tool usage. So, So in the same way that tools fundamentally change the human body and extend and you know you don't need to be as strong because the spear does the spear has stored up the strength that you need to bring down that animal Uh, in the same way i think better philosophy better decisions knowing how to negotiate allows i'm not sure it makes people smarter but it allows them to use their intelligence in a much more productive manner and that's really the foundation of this show is to give people the tools and capacities to harness all of their potentialities in the realm of intelligence and i'm sorry for the long speech I'm almost done. And so there is, of course, also a regression to the mean. So people who think there's some sort of permanent overclass uh, are making mistakes just based on a misunderstanding of biology. And there's something called the regression to the mean. Two tall people will have a tall child, right? Two people who are six foot six will have a child who's taller than average, but it's unlikely the child will be as tall as they are. Two people who are short will have a child that is taller than average, but it is unlikely that uh, the 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 child will be of average height or above average height so there's a regression otherwise we'd end up with 90 foot tall people and two foot tall people i know you can't i don't think human beings can be any more than eight or nine or ten feet tall because then every step would break the thigh bone but anyway it's neither here nor there so it's the same thing with intelligence two people with an iq of 140 who have a kid they're likely to have a kid who's smart And smarter than average, but they're not likely to have a kid who's got 140 IQ. And there is this constant churning and this regression to the mean. Two people with an IQ of 90 are likely to have a kid who is smarter than they are, but not 140. It could happen, of course, right? Lots of mixing up and so on. And so, uh, also I think emotional trauma interferes with intelligence. Think of people who are really traumatized trying to take a test, right? They kind of freak out, they panic, their mind gets fuzzy, They, right? So I think an excess of fight or flight is, is not helpful in terms of cognitive uh, abilities and so on. Now, the other question, of course, that people ask is, well, are IQ tests cognitively biased? In other words, um, th- th- this from many years ago, there was a, an example on an IQ test, which Asked kids basically what is a regatta, you know, and uh, it's a pretty good police album, but it's also, of course, an upper middle class boat racing um, sport or um, race. And, of course, you know, kids from the inner cities and so on wouldn't know this stuff particularly well. Those that that example is very singular. It's been weeded out long ago and uh, they don't find cultural bias. Cultural bias does not exist uh, as far as can be ascertained by any reliable test in IQ tests. A lot of the uh, IQ tests are not cultural at all, right? So there's one where you have to um, remember a sequence of numbers and then you have to repeat them backwards, right? The first one is a test of memory and the second one is a test of more raw intelligence uh, and uh, processing power. And um, people of less intelligence do just as well on the memory test and they do much worse on the repeated backwards test. You get someone to try these things with you. They're actually kind of fun. I've taken a bunch of them. They're they're quite interesting. And... Um, so there's no cultural bias that, that can be determined, uh, that can be figured out. Um, there does not seem to be, uh, like they've done tests with uh, East Asian, and by that sort of basically Chinese and, and Japanese. Uh, kids, even the ones who grew up horrendously malnourished, uh, and uh, like kids who are airlifted out of North Korea who've been in state orphanages for years, uh, those kids do um, they grow up to do um, exactly as all the other Asian kids do, which is 103 to 106, and in particular, Asian kids do very well on um, spatial um, spatial perception, spatial organization uh, tests. The Jews, the Ashkenazi Jews, which are the um, not the Sephardic Jews that remained in um, the Middle East, but who kind of roamed around and attempted to survive the horrendous treatment that they generally received at the hands of their Muslim and Christian overlords, the... Um, the the uh, Jewish uh, groups do very well on um, verbal and written language based and so on, which is why you know and math right. And so this is why there's a lot of Jewish scientists, a lot of Jewish mathematicians, a lot of Jewish writers and so on. Uh, they don't they do uh, at or below. Uh, average in terms of visual spatial, uh, which means you're just not, I mean, not many famous Jewish engineers or architects and so on, they tend to go, right? Whereas Asians do really, really well on um, the uh, visual spatial, which is why, you know, the, the cliche of like the Asian engineer and so on, there's some biological truth to it, whereas there are not that many uh, in terms of architecture and, uh, um, I'm sorry, there are not that many in terms of being writers and and uh, and all that because they just don't score as well. So all that having been said, the question of how much of it is genetic, well, the best estimates so far and more and more genes are being um, discovered that contribute to intelligence. Uh, t- Twelve have come out uh, that have been, uh, alleles they're called, and, and they uh, contribute significantly towards uh, intelligence. There's no one gene for intelligence any more than there's one gene for height. There are probably hundreds of genes out of the 22,000 that matter. There are probably hundreds that um, uh, combine to produce particular intelligence also the higher iq people um, do better just on reaction tests right so there are tests that involve almost no cognitive capacity which is you know a buzzer goes off push a button when the buzzer goes off smarter people do better on those tests than less intelligent people which of course has no cultural relevance whatsoever Uh, so there is a sort of raw horsepower that is available to uh, some people in the world that doesn't seem to be available to others so sorry for that very very quick sprint through uh, iq and intelligence as a whole but the argument is of course if 50 to 80 percent of it is inherited and the remaining part is something called the shared and non-shared environment seems to be the most like the non-family environment and we can go into a bunch of stuff i talked about it with charles murray and so on you do some research on that but the upshot is that it's significantly genetic and nobody knows how to increase it so if there's some magic lever out there in the environment that you can hit that is going to make people smarter after, I guess, IQ tests have been around for um, 100 years, more more than 100 years now, um, nobody knows. Nobody knows how to permanently increase someone's IQ. And, of course, America just spent hundreds of billions of dollars on the Head Start program that was supposed to equalize intelligence uh, and and pour the resources into traditionally underrepresented groups uh, in the high intelligence spheres and move them in some way to a high intelligence area, complete failure, a complete like even by government program standards, a complete failure. Well, I shouldn't say that it didn't make them dumber, but it certainly didn't uh, make them smarter. There was a brief sort of moment where things got better. uh, But, you know, whether that was test faking or just teaching the test or whatever, it didn't produce any permanent changes in uh, iq that having been said there are very smart people you know jack nicholson in five easy pieces very smart people who are genuine failures there are people who are less intelligent who are very successful so this is not you can't judge any particular individual out there but um as far as looking at society as a whole eh, it's an important thing now if intelligence is largely genetic or at least nobody knows what to do to change it then smarter people didn't earn their intelligence. Is that a fair way, a very quick way of sort of summing up? You you didn't earn how smart you are. So, in a kind of in a way you didn't earn your income, right?
3: That's that's pretty much exactly. uh, And all all of your um, your lead up there was was pretty much how I got to that point where, yeah, it's it it really is kind of a a random like you aren't born into any kind of particular like you don't uh, you haven't earned it, it. It really is random.
0: So yeah, so that goes like, you know, people talk about, well, you inherited money and people get mad. Oh, Donald Trump, he inherited his money. It's like, eh, you know, the question is, would you rather inherit money or would you rather inherit brains? And if you have brains, you'd recognize that the correct answer to that question is you would rather inherit brains than inherit money. Because in a free market system, you're paid for your intelligence, fundamentally. With some, you know, some people are paid for their looks, you know, and some people, whatever it is. Some people are paid for their singing ability and so on. But in general, overall, in the free market, casting aside those weird outliers um, in general, and you can see this linear, right? The smarter you are, the more money you're likely to make on average. So you'd, you'd be much wiser to choose, if you could, to be born smart than to be born wealthy. Um, because uh, less intelligent people don't tend to hold on to their wealth and more intelligent people will tend to accumulate wealth regardless of where they where they start from. So um, if inheritance of money is a bad thing, inheritance of intelligence is also a, and could arguably be an even worse thing, right, as, as far as the equality and egalitarianism within society goes. Is that, again, a way to um, a phrase it that works with you?
3: Right. And... Uh... Not not just uh, you know being successful in the workplace, but they also you know less intelligent people, of course, also make you know worse deci- decisions, uh, ranging you know just everything you know uh, any anything that has long term consequences. I brought up the single mothers especially because I know you you bring that up a lot. You know uh, a single mother might uh, there when single uh, single motherhood is directly linked to intelligence. You know as you go along the curve, so. Um, more intelligent uh, people aren't going to uh, pick the wrong partners, aren't going to, um, you know, break up with the partners, or they're going to find a way to make it work and fix fix solve pro- solve problems. And uh, it's so. So my kind of underlying question is: uh, to what extent, give, given this this kind of unfair unfair world, because you know.
0: Well, unfair, hang on, hang on, hang on. (laughs) Unfair, you're bringing a moral argument into it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, is it unfair that some people are born tall? Uh, It's
3: not, it's not unfair. It's unfair in the sense that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not unfair. Just, it's just random, you know?
0: Well, it's not random either, right? Because there's genetics involved, which means it's not random. It's it's just it is what it is. I you know mm-hmm. when it comes to facts of reality, I think it's important to avoid moral judgments about facts of reality that are not the result of anyone's moral choice, right? Moral judgments are around moral choices, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know some guys are bald and some women are tall and some uh, you know um, uh, some men uh, have. Uh, hairy backs and it becomes difficult for them to become bikini models like I, this is just the a variety there's there's a variety right and uh I, you know i think it's really important to try so the moment you start to bring in something like unfair you are uh, you know then you're saying that reality is unfair and and reality by its very definition can't be unfair like is it unfair that we have this gravity on earth rather than it being lighter or or us being lighter or heavier well, if it was lighter, you know, we could uh, we could jump higher, and if it was if it was heavier, we could drive faster. I don't know, just off the top of my head, right? But um, I don't think that we can say that facts of reality are either fair or unfair. Is it unfair that we have to die? Well, we're only alive because people died before us, and we need replenishment as a species, right? So I don't know. Is it is it unfair that women? are the ones who have the children and men are the ones who fall asleep. Um, I don't know. You can't run really. So I really wanted to just push back on if the fact of reality that intelligence is not evenly distributed across the population any more than height or, or good hair or or whatever. I don't know that we can say fair or unfair to that.
3: Let's, how about we say unlucky, right? Like some, I, I,
0: unlucky, I feel like there's a luck lack has of, no Hang on,
3: I'm uh, sorry to unlucky, be annoying, but luck has no unlucky. philosophical
0: Luck has no philosophical significance. It is a meaning. It's like super, it has no, it has no philosophical relevance because unlucky again, bummer, man, I'm just unlucky, you know, that has no, that that doesn't solve the problem of it having no moral significance in in a weird way. We kind of run out of language when we come to disparities that are not the result of anyone's moral choice, if that makes sense.
3: Right. Um, So I guess the my question was one of you know do we have a duty to help these people in any 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 way and uh, i I would imagine that you would say no you know based on uh, all, all your talks where you know si- since it isn't you know anyone's fault, you can't take by force you know resources from any any person to another but i I had this kind of thought where imagine uh you know in a in a small tribal kind of uh, maybe uh, tw- 20 humans, right? Take, let's go back 4,000 years. Uh, it's You've got a tribe of, you know, 30, 30 humans, let's say, and the most intelligent human in that tribe will will probably be the leader, will probably invent all the tools and be, you know, kind of going forward and will probably have most of the resources. Uh, of course, there's, you know, the other factors such as you know, if you're born no, big, hang on,
0: hang on, hang on. Sorry, born big or from my knowledge, from my knowledge, and it's not. I'm certainly in this as most other things. I'm no expert, but my knowledge is that hunter-gatherer societies were fairly fairly flat in terms of their hierarchies. Okay, so like it wasn't. Uh, it, it really took until, until agriculture for the real pyramid of human oligarchical hierarchies to make their appearance.
3: And and at that point it, we were also increasing in population and it would oh yeah uh, humans condense so was there never really and I guess this is also my lack of knowledge regarding you know the human history coming out here but um was, was there no real um kind of dependence on uh, maybe that more intelligent you know where there wasn't leadership uh, up until that
0: because ob- well okay hang you know, on resources- let's I'm sorry, we, we have to break this down a little bit first, okay? okay. I'm sorry to be, be annoying, but there's okay. important to be precision here. In hunter gatherer society, there's very little differentiation in intelligence. And, and there's because, because they're working with such a small gene set, right? And so if you look at things like um, the, the Bushmen of uh the australian outback who have the lowest recorded average iq in the world i think it's 66 or 67 average iq well they are um hunter gatherers and like most hunter gatherers they're very very uh, 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 geographically dispersed in small bands hunter gatherers need a lot of space a lot of space um so, for instance, a hunter-gatherer of 25 people, a hunter-gatherer clan of 25 people needs a 1,000 square miles or so to get enough food to eat. And, because, remember, they're hunter-gatherers, which means that they're constantly on the move, which means they need a lot of calories, and so, uh, they're in, and so they're, you know, 25 or 30 people all inbreeding with each other in a stable environment, right? What is it that slows down evolution? Evolution slows down when you have a static environment when nothing much is changing. Because, you know, the the organisms adapt uh, to their environment to the point where they've kind of perfected themselves, at least as much as they can, right? This is why horseshoe crabs are literally, as one author put it, literally older than the hills, right? Because they've been around for hundreds of millions of years, pretty much unchanged. You dig up a fossil of a horseshoe crab from hundreds of millions of years ago, it's really tough to tell from the current one, or sharks, hundreds of millions of years, very little evolution because they've got as good as they can get, right? And so when you're in a, static, a relatively static environment and you have a relatively small population with which to breed, evolution is very, very, very slow, right? And so there is not likely to be any significant disparities in intelligence in hunter-gatherer tribes, which is one of the reasons why they were so egalitarian, as, as well as, you know, other reasons in terms of work and, and, and effort and so on. But not, not much goes on when the environment is, is static and the breeding uh, pool is small. Does that make sense? It's very stagnant, which is why you see in some human societies, you know, the, the, the North American Indians uh, came across a land bridge... I think from, what, Asia to North America or whatever, 16,000 years ago. Right. And not much changed because hunter-gatherers don't evolve very much at all. On the other hand, as you know, like when you get um, a huge change that occurs in uh, human evolution, and the big one that's argued by some authors is um, 10,000 years ago, was agriculture. Agriculture agriculture and i don't want to get into the whole detail of it because uh you know it may be more than people's patience you know if people are interested let me know below but I'll do a separate show on it but agriculture changed everything massive explosion in uh, human uh, population as you say we went from a couple of million to tens and tens of millions uh through agriculture and significant pressure in agriculture uh on um evolution significant acceleration in evolution there are some geneticists who estimate that human evolution Post-agriculture, including up to today, was is occurring at one hundred times the rate that it was previously. It is accelerated evolution, accelerated a hundredfold after the introduction of agriculture, because you know you had the pressure of, of of having to survive winter. You had also a lot of people had sex with uh, Neanderthals and and other hominids who weren't exactly Homo sapiens, which brought a huge mix into the gene pool, and you know the best tends to survive. And of course, you just had more people to breed with because the population was much larger, and you had um, more access to so much more of a mix-up. And, and this is why you know I think it's only four thousand or five thousand years ago that we became vampires. <laughs> it's a weird word, but it's, apparently it's a real word. A vampire is a is a human is well it's only humans who do this. A, a, a vampire is an organism that survives off. The milk of another species, because milk is produced by mammary glands. So that's hence the word vampire. I've just been wanting to use that for a while. Thank you for creating the opportunity. Uh, vampire porn coming soon to a website near you, I'm sure. But um, that is, so that, yeah, lactose tolerance kicked in for Europeans um about uh, four or five thousand years ago, and uh, of course created a huge evolutionary advantage and evolutionary advantage in war because you could travel with your food source, which of course was quite different from before, uh, where you had to stay tied to the land. And anyway, it's a whole whole bunch of different things. But um, so when you talk about the genius in the hunter-gatherer tribe uh, or the, you know, and there was, of course, occasionally it would happen, right? I mean, there'd be some real smart guy who'd figure out mm-hmm. fire and cave painting and, you know, jawbone of an ass, uh, whatever you do with that. Um, but uh, it would be very rare compared to the number of intelligent people who who are produced now in the gene pool, of course, is vastly, vastly higher. I,
3: I, I guess what I'm looking for uh, and what I was hoping to, uh, you know, find in that situation uh would be uh to find kind of a natural situation in which uh the more intelligent provided for the um the less intelligent and i see maybe they do maybe they they do they they, they do they do now but they do uh, listening okay go ahead
0: no 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 finish your point sorry
3: okay so uh if i i don't know if we maybe jumped over you know since we evolved so quickly as you know agriculture, uh, or not evolved, but, uh, you know, agriculture took off. Uh, we very quickly became, you know, you know, mega, mega populated, you know, cities were created from, you know, maybe very small groups, you know, where there wasn't a lot of, uh, need for change. And, uh, so, so what my question kind of is, uh, is, is there no, uh, like, because now we have this huge society in which, you know, uh, everyone is very interconnected you know we we have these giant social programs every like the intelligent you know it, it's it's a massive beast that you know nature never really intended uh we kind of out
0: yeah. outgrew we're um, part of nature you know there's there's no nature outside us that never intended right, us to are just right. part of nature I, we're, doing, more we're doing we're doing what them. we do in terms of creating tools just like every other animal does the cities are as much a part of nature as a beaver dam but anyway go on
3: I I'm just saying there is there really a genetic component to uh to giving to the to to maybe the less intelligent and giving some that's what I was hoping for to maybe kind of kind of provide some kind of uh what I was hoping was was that you know in that uh, the hypothetical society which I guess never existed where there were 30 a group of 30 humans the more intelligent one would maybe provide for the less intelligent because and then you know and vice versa and it would it would work and it would it would go forward in that way but I, I and b- because I'm trying to equate it so where the point we're at right now in which you know we we have these uh, the the more intelligent have vastly more resources than. I guess they they aren't very necessary resources. You know, they're not about survival
0: anymore, but... No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, you're going off on... I know you're not a socialist, I, I but you're going off on a socialist tangent here. Mm-hmm. Okay. First of all, the poor have vastly more resources than they used to, even compared to the intelligent. Certainly. Right? So, so the idea, well, we've got to find some way to force the smarter people to look after the less smart people. Uh, we just call them the brights and the dulls, right, which is a fairly common way of, of phrasing it. Um, first of all, the brights do take care of the dulls. Um, as I sort of said earlier, you had to be very intelligent to use a computer, and now you don't. So in, in how smart do you have to be to scroll through and, and look up something on Google and so on? Now the entire world's knowledge is pretty much available to you for, for virtually nothing, right? And um, so the expansion of, of knowledge and the capacity to use computing power has gone into the hands of the poor, not because dull people invented cell phones, but because dull people don't have to work very hard to buy a cell phone or a cell phone plan, right? right. And so simply letting really bright people be free to innovate and create and trade benefits the poor disproportionately to the degree that it benefits the rich. Mm -hmm. So um, like if if you were rich 20 years ago, you could have a phone, right? Now your phone does a lot more now than it did 20 years ago. But if you were poor 20 years ago, you couldn't have a portable phone, Mm -hmm. right? You couldn't have a cell phone because they were too expensive, not just to buy, but to, to run. And so... 20 years ago, rich guys had cell phones, poor guys didn't. Now, everyone has a cell phone. And yes, the rich guys have got better cell phones, but the poor have both better cell phones and cell phones to begin with at all, right? Mm -hmm. So the poor have gone from no cell phones to great cell phones, and the rich have gone from okay cell phones to great cell phones. The poor have benefited more Mm -hmm. proportionately than the rich.
3: And there's less 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 rich as well, of course. I'm sorry? And there's less rich, of course. You know, if the one guy who invented the cell phone sells it to... A million, you know, uh, poor than, uh, the, the dolls, uh, now, now each, you know, all, all, the million dolls have cell phones now. And, you know, that's, that's maybe helped them, you know, go forward and, and, uh, provide for themselves more. And the, the, that one rich person who invented the cell phone, you know, he benefits of course, but not, I guess I, I see, I see where you're going there.
0: Well, he, he has to benefit less than the public does as a whole otherwise mm-hmm. he's not going to get paid right right so i mean if someone cre- if someone makes 10 million dollars it's because he's created 50 or 100 million dollars worth of value mm-hmm. you, you always get paid less than the value that you create otherwise you know economics makes no sense right uh, so so the, the 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 smarts right the brights do take care of the dulls so none of the dulls can invent a cure for polio, right? Or a vaccine against polio. Alexander Sork, I I think, did it. And uh, and now, you know, people with an IQ of 90 can inject, or people with an IQ of 95 can inject people with an IQ of 85 and render them immune to polio. So none of the dolls could have invented a a, a vaccine to protect against polio or or smallpox or you name it, right? Mm -hmm. But the brights have done it. And therefore, the dolls are protected from polio and smallpox and you name it, right? And so the idea that do we have an obligation, do we have a duty and so on to provide, well, let the brights be free to innovate and create and become rich. And the advantages flow out amazingly to everyone else. And if you don't let the brights uh, be free to create and innovate and get rich, none of those benefits are going to flow out to the dolls, right? hmm
3: I I guess my uh, my problem though is, I, or I guess what I have an issue with, uh, kind of accepting is is just that fact that you know certain certain groups of people are in general always going to you know stay you know less you know we say fortunate in that you know that they are always going to have less resources. They're always you know you could you could split it up by race then, right? if, if, uh, black or Afri- African can have less, uh, 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 lower IQ in general, wouldn't that, um, kind of in, in general, they're going to be in, in, in the U S especially, you know, they're going to be in jail more often. They're going to be, uh, poor more often. They're going to be raising more kids that are, you know, poorly. And that's going to in turn cause the, those kids to, you know, whatever genetic factor does contribute to, um, intelligence it, it just you know tri- spirals down and it's kind of that vicious cycle of never really um i guess i just feel i i feel bad and that's i don't really have maybe um i i understand that you know you can't you can't take uh by gunpoint you know like a, as you say um resources from the rich just just because you know ju- uh you know whatever socialism. okay hang on hang on
0: we we got to because we we brought in uh blacks right mm-hmm. okay so the studies show and again people can research this for themselves as much as they want to look at my previous interviews uh the studies show that sub-saharan africans i talked about this in the truth about south africa sub-saharan blacks have an average iq of 70 which is of course not super high and um uh, African Americans who have about twenty percent Eurasian or sorry uh, Caucasian blood in them, in general, have an IQ of uh, an average IQ of eighty-five, uh, and this has been affirmed by the American Psychological Association. It's been well known, researched, studied, and is well accepted among the professional uh, literature for uh, over a hundred years. And um, it is tragic to some degree. I mean, it's natural because. People adapt to local environments, and there's no question of racial superiority or cultural or, um, in particular, ethnic superiority or inferiority doesn't, you know, the cultural, they maybe argue that there is, but certainly when it comes to race, no superiority or inferiority. There's simply adaptation to to local circumstances. And um, the argument that uh, has been put forward by a number of people, including Charles Murray, is that if you look at uh, how badly the blacks are doing in America, it's not a function of racism, fundamentally. It's a function of disparate levels of intelligence. Again, smart blacks, dull, dull whites, and so on. And if blacks have an average IQ of uh, 85, that means you know 20% of blacks are smarter than the average white, right? Which you see, I think, showing up fairly regularly. But um, their argument is not that blacks make less money. It's that everyone with an IQ of 85 makes about the same money. And everyone with an IQ of 100 makes about the same money. And everyone with an IQ of 130 or 150 makes about the same money as as everyone else with that same level of IQ. So what income is measuring is not race, but IQ. And if there are racial or ethnic disparities between IQ, those will show up. Uh, as disparities uh, in income. But it's not racism, uh, unless you're going to say that evolution is racist. And that's, of course, a really pointless argument to make because it doesn't, right? And that explains why, as we talked before, uh, Jews have the highest IQ, uh, followed by Asians, followed by whites, followed by Hispanics, followed by blacks and so on. And this is more a function of um, uh, potential um, ethnic differences in uh, intelligence. Um, And again, doesn't help you judge any individuals, but when you take the view back enough, um and and i was interested in what you said because i you know this is something this is information that people find troubling um heartbreaking is probably a, a better way of putting it and is that sort of what what you feel as well
3: yes uh you know it's given especially the the single mothers which which i i feel like every time that you uh you might rail on a single mother and i'm not saying this too in any way you know uh, you know, I I, th- I think everybody has that kind of question of like, you know, it's it is uh, people people like to give responsibility to individuals because, um, you know, individuals of course, and it, you, you are making your own choices. You are in in a lot of ways, you know, um, I forget the term, but you know, in in control of your own body and whatnot. But uh if if in general all these uh trends are based off intelligence or race, uh and and so thereby intelligence it's it's really you can't really um fault anybody for for that. And of course I, I love what you do here and you know, promoting uh what you what you can with a peaceful parenting and whatnot. But um it, it it I guess it is very troubling to me that there is no way to <laughs> I guess you know, ultimately fix, uh, fix anyone. If, if that's what I'm trying to, uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with them, but, uh, there's no way to raise IQ. And, but I, I, I had this other thought as well here. And, uh, this is my last kind of thing. Um, I know in a society, the, the most de- the desirable people are of course, you know, the most successful, the, the ones that are succeed, you know, are financially effective and are thereby intelligent, more, you know, successful people. Just, you know, biologically, you're going to look at the person who is, you know, making the money and um, is able to provide for uh, children and whatnot. You're going to gravitate to that person. So I feel like even though we, we say these things like, oh, there's nothing wrong with people who are less intelligent. Uh, We still have these standards, you know, dull has a negative connotation and bright. Oh, of course. Look, look, sorry sorry to
0: interrupt you, but just to reinforce that, I mean, of course, of course. I mean, if you were to say to a parent, you can have a child with an IQ of 90 or you can have a child with an IQ of 110, what do you think they would choose? 110, of course. Of course, of course. And... um, That is a fairly unambiguous choice, right? So if you could say, oh, you you know, you can have a child who's super beautiful or you can have a child who's plain, that's more of a complicated choice. Because really physically beautiful people have some significant and unique challenges to Mm -hmm. to deal with. But I think when it comes to intelligence – I don't know, if you say, well, you can have a child with an IQ of 120 or you can have a child with an IQ of 180, there are some people who will be like, ah, uh, I don't know, 180, isn't that kind of burning up the stratosphere of human intelligence? Aren't they going to be neurotic and I'll have nothing in common with them and they'll be, you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I think just around, if you, you know, if you're given that choice, there are very few people who would say, yeah, give me the 90 rather than 110, right? So right. I, I get what you mean. I get
3: what you mean. But, but we choose not only our, our our mating partners with this, you know, in general, but also, you know, our friends are, you know, uh, we, we try to move up. You know, everyone wants to be friends with that rich, successful, intelligent friend because they, uh, you know, they, they've got something going on. We want to uh, be part of that success or get something from them. And but but, you know, it's it's quite the reverse with the other way. You know, we tend to ostracize these people who are the dullest or uh, you know, not, not intelligent, but, uh, it's, it's interesting, especially with race. You know, we all say, you know, it's, and if this is true, that if we look down upon people who are less intelligent, then aren't we looking down upon, and I've, I've, I've had a struggle with this and I'm in no way, you know, racist culturally, of course.
0: Like, but you, you do. Well, sorry, I, just, just I, because I, I you, I you brought up the do. R word, and please, please hold your thought. I just want to be very clear that nothing is, that is based upon fact can be considered racist. Okay. It is racist to hold an opinion about a group that has no basis in empirical evidence. Mm-hmm. It is not racist to say that blacks have darker skins than albinos. That is not a racist statement. It's not racist to say that blacks have shorter, thicker, and kinkier hair than Norwegians. None of these, anything that is based upon generally accepted, researched, and understood, and validated facts, nothing that is fact-based can be racist. Nothing whatsoever. Uh, And that's really, really important to understand. But, of course, because ethnic and group differences uh, between um, human groups uh, have been vigorously denied throughout uh, history uh, and particularly um, since the Marxists took over the social narrative in the 1920s and the 1960s, um, it, people think that any time you talk about group differences, that's automatically racist. Uh, but, of course, that's not the case at all. And uh, any doctor who tried to practice medicine without taking into account ethnic differences would be sued for malpractice because it would be absolutely mm-hmm. incompetent for them to do so.
3: Right. And you, you spoke You spoke to, I, I don't remember the name of the last, you know, intelligence uh, talk. I, I watched it, though, but... Uh, you know, what, what I kind of thought about after, after that, that talk was, you know, you, you brought up that it's going to, in the next, you know, 20 years or 10 or 20 years become completely non-refutable that, you know, there are these strong genetic predictors between the races and, you know, it already is, but obviously it's going to be proven un- undoubtedly, uh, in the next upcoming time. And I had this thought, uh, what it... If, if on average uh, Africans are less, have less intelligence and for, you, for a job, for example, it's more economical and a better business decision for an employer to choose the um, more intelligent people. So could it become a factor then? Your race becomes a factor and it's, it's not, you know, then it's not
0: racism. It does. Well, no, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I, I know what you're saying, right? But not in a free market. Because in a free market, um, it, you would give, I would assume, since it is a very, the IQ tests are the, a, a way stronger predictor of job success than almost anything else that you can think of. You know, your resume, your references, your hobbies, you know, what, your, whatever you put down. It doesn't matter as much as, as IQ. So, no, it's not... Going to be racist at all because what's going to happen is people will be given IQ tests, which is currently generally illegal in, uh, in America. And um, it's not, you can kind of get away with it if you can prove that it's absolutely essential, and blah, but it's, nobody wants to go there, right? Because it's just it's too much of a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, no, I mean, it, and it will be much fairer. To blacks as a whole, to have a system which is free market, right? I mean, everybody wants to see every group succeed as much as humanly possible, anybody with any decent amount, right? So, right now, we have a pseudo intelligence test called four years of $50,000 plus college education. Yep. Right? That is terrible for blacks who have lower incomes and much lower, far fewer assets than Asians uh, or whites. So what we want is an IQ test and, uh, or something like it that's specifically geared towards a particular job. You sit down, they take an IQ test, and then you can get rid of HR departments who tell you what questions to ask to hire people. It's stupid, right? Just give them an it's IQ so test. Just give them a, 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 an IQ test. Now, that means some poor genius black kid coming out of the ghetto can sit down and write a test. And do just as well as anyone else. Because an IQ of 140 is an IQ of 140. It doesn't matter what color you are. You can be rainbow colored. You can have a clown wig on. If you doesn't matter. Right? So the best way to get talented blacks or Hispanics or anyone into um, where they can do the most good is to get rid of this bullshit college education system and get a straight-on IQ test. Uh, and And that way, instead of spending four years and tens of thousands of dollars... You can just sit down for an hour, and if you've got the raw horsepower and you've got the smarts, you'll do just fine. But there is, of course, a very specific reason that this is resisted uh, around the world. This, this very humane, obvious, non-racist, perfectly valid, sensible, cost-effective thing to do, I think we all know why that is discouraged around the world. Why do you think
3: I think it's because people want to get ahead in any way possible. And, uh, you know, everybody wants to be able to get, uh, you know, better resources for their families or their, you know, regardless of what, what environment they're born into. And,
0: uh, no. No, the reason that this is resisted around the world is because if the theories are, or if the recorded data of IQ disparities across ethnicities is, is valid, is true, right, then what's going to happen is, Uh, Lots of Ashkenazi Jews are going to pass these IQ tests. Some proportion of Asians, again, if we're talking about a lot of numbers, some proportion of Asians are going to pass the IQ test. Some proportion of whites, some proportion of Hispanics and some proportion of blacks. And it's going to be, if this is valid, a descending proportion. And then, what people, and then the whole, the whole, all the social justice warriors, all of the chest thumping race baiters, all the Al Sharptons, all those people are out of a job. See, you can have affirmative action in college, you can't have affirmative action in a privately administered IQ test. Right? So, Google gets nagged continually as to Intel. Because they have very few black engineers. But if you look at the bell curve of intelligence spread, they don't. But people can nag them and and, and complain about them, and of course, it's a great uh, to to hide any ethnic differences in intelligence is a fantastic way to destroy the free market, because the free market pays, pays on intelligence, and if there are disparities, between ethnicities in intelligence as a whole and you can hide that fact from people then everything looks racist. And my problem is I'm sick and tired of white people taking the blame for evolution. I'm so sick and tired of white people taking the blame for evolution. It's not any white person's fault that organisms adapt to different environments. right? It's simply not. It's not white people's fault that there are no elephants in Antarctica or penguins at the equator. It's not white people's fault. And this is why it needs to be talked about. Because it's a natural self-defense measure. If everyone's screaming at you, like if I've used this example before, but for those who haven't, if everyone's screaming at the NBA owners that they're racist because they don't have enough Asians on their team, and nobody knows that Asians are in general shorter then they're going to spend the rest of their lives fighting off these attacks of racism for something that isn't their fault. It's not the fault of any NBA owner that Asian people tend to be shorter. It's not their fault. They they didn't get up and rewire the genes throughout history 100,000 years ago or 40,000 years ago when the races split. It's nobody's fault. But if we are blind to differences, then... White people will get blamed, and I am so sick and tired of this. It it is so anti scientific, and it is costing white people self esteem. The degree to which white people are constantly obsessing about looking in the mirror. Oh my God, this group is still doing badly. Am I racist? Are we racist? Am I? How many of these friends do I have? And blah 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 blah. Like this is such a waste of time and energy. It's so destructive. Get rid of affirmative action, because affirmative action makes it really difficult to hire talented and intelligent minorities. Because affirmative action, I mean, that used to be, actually, interestingly enough, okay, so affirmative action comes out of something kind of interesting that happened in the 1920s. To do this, I have to very, very briefly go over Jewish genetic history. Very briefly, very briefly, I promise. Let's do so, it. yeah, okay, so... The ancients, the ancient Greeks (laughs) used to write a lot about everything, and they wrote about Jews, and they never wrote that Jews had any brains at all, (laughs) at all, nothing, not a bit. Um, They weren't dumb, but they weren't smart. (laughs) They were just like everyone else, right? And for a variety of reasons that we don't need to get into huge amounts of detail, um, Jews ended up becoming the smartest, not not Sephardic, not the local Middle Eastern Jews, um, but the um, diasporic Jews, the Jews who were trying to survive in other cultures, became pretty super smart. Like some studies have them about a standard deviation above the white norm. And in language, they're crazy, right? Like 120 plus sometimes uh, on average in certain groups. And this is partly because Jews were so harassed that if you didn't know when the next pogrom was coming and you didn't get out of town early, you got killed. So the smarter people got out of town early. And also because Jews, um, uh, they, they, they've studied this in very great detail. Jewish groups who were richer and rich as a proxy for intelligence had many more children than Jews who were less intelligent. Uh, their rabbi families regularly have, and they can see this in the parish records, they have regularly 8 to 10 to 12 children, whereas the less intelligent Jewish families have 2 to 4. Right. So Jews um, uh, were, of course, uh, not allowed to own land in a lot of places. So they had to go into all of these white collar professions. Uh, Muslim and Christians were not allowed to lend money at interest for a lot of human, a lot of Western history and Eastern history. And therefore, Jews had to get into um, uh, business with um, lending money at interest, which requires higher mathematical abilities, which is why they have. But they weren't allowed to be architects. They weren't allowed to be engineers. They're allowed to lend money at interest, which is why they've evolved to have higher mathematical reasoning and less spatial reasoning. Christians, of course, take the smartest people, teach them a lot of Latin, and then staple their dicks shut (laughs) because they're not allowed to breed. The priests were celibate. In order to not diffuse the wealth of the Catholic Church, they kept the smartest people from breeding. And therefore... The, the the Western gene pool, the European gene pool, had to accelerate itself through endless disasters like the Black Plague, which tended to wipe out the less intelligent portion of the population who were more crowded in cities and didn't take the right um, uh, didn't take the right precautions in terms of quarantining and so on. Like in Italy during one of the Black Plagues that went in waves for hundreds of years after the twelfth, thirteenth centuries. If somebody, like, coughed badly in a house, everybody would just nail, nail that house up. Like, they just nail boards all over, and people would just like, hey, maybe you live, maybe you won't. This is how hard-hearted—and and now, of course, migrants come in, and it's all—anyway, that whole gene pool seems to have completely vanished. But uh, because the, um, the Jews uh, also have a, a, um, uh, a, a strong valuing of intelligence, because that's what allowed them to survive— because to to be the white collar to be the smart, to outthink people, to lend money to right to be to survive in a society that would regularly kill off right there's there's pogroms in in France and and other European countries in the early middle ages, a quarter of the Jewish population just got wiped out it was brutal and so intelligence like they pounded into um uh, they pounded into the Jewish women marry a smart man, marry a smart man, marry a smart man right I don't know where you grew up, but where I grew up. <laughs> Intelligence was not the giant ab of female attractiveness, right? In in European Western culture, the same reverence for intelligence is not there. So there's a reason why like uh, tiny Jewish guys get these ultra babes, right? Because in the Jewish community, if you can train Jewish women to grow up hugely valuing intelligence and the rabbis, of course, who had to learn multiple languages and master very difficult texts like the Torah and so on, If you can get the women to really value intelligence, well, then you're going to make sure that the most intelligent men are going to have the most children. And the argument is sort of like this, that even if we assume a heritability of only 0.3, of 30% for intelligence, and if every single generation, the Jews went up, I don't know, about one IQ point, every generation, well, over... A thousand years, that's 40 generations. And that's going to give you a 12 to 15 point boost in intelligence over a thousand years. And so since a lot of these habits within the the Jewish community started at around 600 AD and Jewish intelligence really began to burst forward in the human stage at around 1600 AD, we've got a thousand years of incredible genetic progress in intelligence, in particular for these... um, the Ashkenazi Jews, uh, what an incredible thing. And, God, I mean, of course, all of this progress happens with immense suffering, right? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. horrible suffering. And, um, that is uh, 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 one of these staggering things in human evolution, just how smart we all could be if intelligence was valued from a breeding context. So, one of the reasons why I say, don't date single moms is... (laughs) we kind of need to restore the value of intelligence as something that women demand. If women value intelligence over less intelligence, the human race can progress. And if women keep choosing idiots, then devolution, dysgenics will occur. Everything's eugenics. Every, everyone you choose to have kids with is eugenics. And of course, we're not talking Nazi eugenics or anything stupid government programs like that. But, and evils like that. But this is why I'm constantly encouraging people, listen, be smart. Figure out what people's values are. Figure out how smart they are. And women, stop chasing the dumbstick, Stop riding the dumbstick, and producing less intelligent people as a result. Now, As far as choices, yes. Just to to look at single women for the moment. Yeah, single women are making bad choices and they have lower IQ. But I don't believe that lower IQ automatically means bad choices. Right? I guarantee you, and I know this for a fact, that lower IQ does not mean worse choices. What it means is that when you have a lower IQ... You need more social reinforcement to make better choices. Do you see what I mean? Right. Yeah. That so if, if sorry, if in society as a whole, single motherhood is intensely frowned upon, and there's huge commandments against it, and there's huge social ostracism, then people of lower intelligence will say, "Oh, well, that's really unpopular, so I'm not going to do it." Right. <laughs> That's re- everybody really dislikes that, and I saw what happened to that other woman who had a kid out of wedlock and blah bloody, blah blah so I'm not going to do it. Because people are making worse choices now than they did 50 or 70 years ago. Black illegitimacy was 20% 60 or 70 years ago. The, the black family was more stable than a lot of white demographics in their families. Now black illegitimacy is like, 73%? I would not say that blacks have become less intelligent. I would argue, and that the data suggests they become more intelligent over that time period. But they're making worse choices. Why is that? Because when you're less intelligent, you need more structured and rigid social cues about what you should do. And this doesn't have anything to do fundamentally with intelligence or not. Like when I was a kid, they just said, brush your teeth <laughs> <laughs> he just said, brush your teeth. And they showed horrible videos of what your teeth looked like if you didn't, right? And I was like, oh, okay, I don't get any of this, but I suppose I'll just brush my teeth, right? And we, we do this uh, all the time with a bunch of things. You know, the mechanic comes and says, you need to spend $1,000 to fix your huddle-duddle-duddle, right? <laughs> and you're like, well, I don't know what the huddle-duddle-duddle is, but it sounds like i got to give you $1,000 so I don't crash into a fiery ruin, right? And okay, right, so all the time, You need very strong cues about what to do in stuff that you're stupid about. You do, I do, everyone does. And, I mean, you know, it's the old thing. Who doesn't want to eat chocolates and cupcake? I don't know. I like them. (laughs) But you don't, right? You have your broccoli and you have your good food and all that. And uh, so we all need these strong social cues to make better decisions. And so for me, and I've said this in the videos about single moms, it's not like, oh, single moms, they're just incomprehensibly stupid, nasty, mean, and idiotic. No. They're people of a lower intelligence in general. So we as smarter people need to be really clear <laughs> with people. Like you can train people who have an IQ of 90. You can have them. They can have productive and happy and good lives. But we have to recognize they have an IQ of 90. And so we need to give them very clear social messages about the right things to do. I mean, it takes staggering intelligence to come up with the general theory of relativity. It takes less intelligence to kind of follow it and understand it. It takes less intelligence even still to kind of get the gist of it. And it takes less intelligence even still to listen to the great Queen song 39 written by Brian May, which is about the theory of relativity. You can sing that song and you can kind of get the idea if you've got an IQ of 85, right? Right. And so in terms of like, you, you, you know, coming up with UPB, like if UPB turns out to be valid and I think it's holding its own pretty well, it's a pretty stellar human achievement. It takes a fair amount of smarts to do that. Does it take as much smarts to read the book and understand it? Well, no. That's why I wrote the book in a popularly accessible style. Does it take even less to kind of explain it to, to someone who's not that smart? Does it take even less to explain it to someone who's five years old? Yeah, once you can, like you downshift it, you you make it accessible and understandable to people of less intelligence. And again, this is not me smart, everyone else dumb, because I don't know how a touch screen works. It's got the feels and the magic movement. <laughs> That's all I know, right? A touch capacitor. Okay, well, that explains it. Might as well call it a cling on armpit for all I know. <laughs> but it, it works, right? So they've dumbed it down to the point where I can carry around a supercomputer super on my ass, right? And so it's just about we, everyone who's smart should, especially in the realm of ethics, should work at trying to get people to get the proper social cues so that they can make better decisions without having to understand all the theories because a lot of them won't be able to. I mean, the amount of work it used to take to run a car, like if you wanted to run a car in like 1918, you had to basically be a mechanic. You had to carry around a bag of tools. You had to regularly stop it and crank it up. Now, push a button, turn a wheel, right? It's magic. And so you make things easier for people to use. You make them more understandable and you give people the correct social cues. So that when I put out the message that is negative towards single moms, well, hopefully it helps single moms not continue to have more kids and hopefully it has men not want to go and have relationships with single moms, so that the women who aren't single moms yet say, okay, well, men really kind of turning against single moms and, and so on, right? And again, until the welfare state ends, this is all a bunch of theory, but you've got to lay the tracks before the train comes, right? I mean, otherwise it's just going to plunge into a bog. So, uh, yeah, recognizing that there are less intelligent people, I think, should raise our commitment to helping them, to, to making things more accessible, to making things easier, for them, just as I appreciate really smart people making a lot. Like, I have no idea how my heating system works, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's warm. It's cold. Like, I guess there's some electricity. I think there's a fan involved. I got to clean the vents from <laughs> right? But I don't know. And thank God I don't have to know. <laughs> because if it was me, uh, I don't know, it'd be a, like a candle and some farting. Blue angel of warmth. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think recognizing that less, less intelligent people is fantastic. I mean, across all spectrums, you just make things easier, make things better, and make the social cues clearer. And the problem with government is it completely screws up the social cues. So to get back to your original point, at the very lowest levels of intelligence where people can't function, and I'm not talking about, well, you know, they, they 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 had some brain injury. They they had, I don't know, some brain parasite. They had something that, that really screwed up their brains and they can't function on their own. Yes, I think that we should help those people. Should we force? No, of course not, because that's just going to make things bad. And then you have to have an agency with which to force people, right? Now, if you have an agency with which to force people, that agency is at least in the modern context, either going to be totalitarian or it's going to rely on votes, right? Now, as soon as you open up a system to voting, then you are allowing half the population with below average intelligence to vote. And, uh, you know, whenever you, because voting originally um, used to require, like you had to have a certain amount of income and a certain amount of property to vote. And people say, oh, they're shocked at this because universal suffrage has just become this deity that everyone worships without any sense or rhyme or reason or second thought. But uh, I, I can't vote in IBM stock proxy conflict because I don't own IBM stock, right? I mean, if I don't own the thing, I don't if I don't have a stake and a vested interest in it, then I can't vote in it. And people um, you know, people on the receiving end of welfare, can they vote objectively about? Welfare policies for the long-term interest of the country and its benefit more particularly if people on Welfare tend to be of lower intelligence again. There are exceptions but that is generally the case the people who are on welfare tend to be less intelligent which means that since it takes more intelligence to um, Take small to short-term hits for the sake of long-term gains, right? One of the, the whole points of intelligence is to expand your horizon with which you're willing to sacrifice your personal comfort to gain things in the future So you end up with a population um, uh, that's less intelligent, that's entirely dependent upon government programs. Can they be trusted to vote intelligently and responsibly and in a mature and sober and wise way about government programs? Of course not. Of course not. Even smart people have a tough time doing that. But less intelligent people who are completely dependent on these programs at the moment can't pass. So they're just going to vote for more and more. Because they're less intelligent, they're gonna just say, Well, give me stuff, and they don't really get where it comes from. And this is the whole socialism thing, right? The Bernie Sanders thing. We're just gonna give you free stuff. And people are always writing to me, Well, it's free here, and I get free college there, and I get free. It's not free. But it's free to them, and that's the limit of their thinking, right? They can't, they're not smart enough to say where's this money coming from and who else gets hurt. And because they're not smart enough to know where the money comes from, they don't have empathy for the people it's taken from. It just shows up, "Eh, free check, right? Government has all this money. I guess they're sitting on piles of gold like Scrooge McDuck and here they're shipping me some. How nice of them, right? And so if you want to find some way to forcibly redistribute wealth, you have to set up a government and the government has to to include votes and the votes are going to be cast by the people on the receiving end who are less intelligent. Receiving end of that money who are less intelligent, they're just going to keep voting for more and more and the system collapses. So I, I, I'd love to make the case, you used the word duty, which is kind of one of these words, I don't know what it means fundamentally, <laughs> um, because I don't know if duty is legally enforced or something that's nice to do. Is it aesthetically preferable? Is it polite? Is it something self-defense if it doesn't happen, right? But I think the basic reality is I am happy to help and do help people who can't help themselves and people who are unfortunate, Right. Let's say someone has some brain parasite and they grow up, can't take care of themselves. Well, if you take care of that person, it's not like a whole bunch of people are going to be snorting brain parasites to get those same goodies. They're not. But if you give money to people who just don't feel like working, then more people will not feel like working. Right. So this can't be done by a government. It has to be done by private charities. And there has to be competition about who helps the most and who helps the best. So I think that, yes, I am lucky to be smart. And I am lucky to live in a society where intelligence is not a liability. In lots of societies, intelligence is a huge liability. If you live in a very superstitious society, atheism and agnosticism are positively correlated with intelligence. The more intelligent you are, the less superstitious or religious you are, in general. Don't post the exceptions, otherwise you're just proving that you're not that smart. And so if you grew up in a very superstitious culture and you're smart enough to be skeptical, I mean, you're often the first person that they're going to barbecue their marshmallows off their, your roasting forehead. Kill the unbeliever, skeptic, heretic, ah! right? So intelligence is like, like being intelligent in a superstitious society is like being gay in a homophobic society. You gotta pretend to drool a little. You gotta pretend that oh yeah, I can read this religious text for the twelve thousandth time and pretend I'm getting oh yeah, I'm gonna kneel down. Okay, we gotta stand up. Okay, we gotta go here. Gotta okay. Right, you gotta zombie yourself up. Right, pee yourself a little once in a while and uh, pretend that darts is a sport. I don't know, like whatever you do, you just gotta pretend that it's great. Our society is the best. Wait, you didn't see a little bit of brain, did you? I mean. There's uh, Ariel Winter, I think her name is. Um, she just got breast reduction surgery uh, because, well, anyway, if you look at pictures, not that I have, but I hear uh, she had uh, some uh, pretty specific uh, put your head between them and make motorboat noises, uh, columns of uh, feed a village mammary glands. And she played this character who was supposed to be geeky and unattractive, so basically i don 't know what they had to do with her boobs, but I assume it involved a caterpillar truck and some duct tape of nearly NASA' strength proportions to keep those lush those puppies down and that 's sort of what intelligence is like, you know restrain it, keep it down, right I mean, frontal lobotomy, where do I sign up because i can 't fit in here anywhere but now, of course, in the Jewish society, having great intelligence meant great income, great respect within the community. And you had the best reproductive choices because the women were trained to value intelligence. And this is why I'm constantly nagging women, make better choices. Make better choices. Choose smarter guys. Uh, And that way we can get smarter people. uh, Because um, intelligence is uh, not something to be taken for granted. Intelligence is something that comes out of people making incrementally better choices every generation. And right now, people are just making worse and worse choices. And how long is it going to take before we recover the intelligence cliff dive that we're currently going through with the dysgenics of the welfare state and other things? Uh, um, It's just uh, wretched, wretched and horrifying. So I think that we do have an obligation to take care of people. I'm in no way, shape or form think that it's safe to set up a um, majority vote violent institution to take care of that because that's just a recipe for um, dystopia uh, as we see happening uh, all around us and um constantly exhorting people to make better choices is by far the best way to do this and social ostracism for those who don't is the most powerful way because social ostracism is gene death right if no one's going to have sex with you you ain't going to have any kids and this is why ostracism is so powerful and um so and this is why ostracism is so strongly resisted you know when i talk about ostracism people freak out like they it, it's like i'm calling for the exterminate. like You know, like people just completely freak out because they get it deep down. that what I'm saying is intelligence is the resource that we need to breed. It is our most precious resource and it results in the best societies. And you can see this all around the world. You can see national IQ and you can see standard of living and you can see the absence of corruption. You can see the rule of law and it generally works. Now, lots of problems, things still aren't perfect and so on. Of course, right? And there are outliers. But in general, the less intelligent the country, the less rule of law, the more uh, violence, the more criminality, and the more corruption. Corruption is very strongly associated with uh, less intelligence. And um, the countries who have this precious intelligence resource are wise to hang on to it. And, um, you know, like people are nagging at me about some of my take on the migrant crisis. And that's great. You know, people should nag at me. Lord knows I need course corrections uh, just about every day. But, um, oh man, you don't believe in borders. It's like, well, uh, why they're not, there. I don't have to not believe in them. They're not there. They are imaginary lines on a map. But um, where there are significant disparities in IQ, we need to figure out what's going on. If it's entirely environmental, okay. Well then, we, but, problem is no one's allowed to research this stuff and talk about it. And everyone gets screamed down as racist and Nazi and xenophobe if they talk about it. And that's not good until we have an answer as to what's going on with um, ethnic differences in IQ. Because if it is genetic, it's a disaster in the long run, right? Until, until something can be solved, until something can be sorted out. I don't know if it is, right? And nobody knows for sure. Strong indications seem to be that there's strong genetic components. That's not good, Right until we have an answer to this, um, it is not a wise idea to have massive crashings of uh, IQ disparate populations into each other. It's not going to work.
3: Mm-hmm. Because, like, just with just like with the height, you know, uh, we are moving towards a more
0: you know a- average society, right? That, um... A loss of five IQ points in a national IQ results in like 30% more welfare, 35% more high school dropouts, significantly more criminality, significantly more single motherhood, significantly more drug addiction, significantly more promiscuity and dysfunction. Mm -hmm. You drop the national IQ by five points, and that's not a lot. You really start to split that society apart. And this is not my opinion. These are facts. Mm -hmm. So it is... um, it's a risky social experiment that we're cooking on at the moment. I hope it works out. I hope that uh, you know it, it, it's all has nothing to do with genetics. Then, of course, the problem is I can't be an atheist, right? If it all works out, then evolution is invalid, and therefore there must have been a creator, and therefore uh, I have to return to my Christian roots. Do, do you think which I'll any, do, uh... which I'll do if if that's what the the facts lead. But I don't think it's bound to happen.
3: So we we are headed towards. Um
0: lower intelligence on average correct i don't know uh, so I, I hate i hate to say this is inevitable because then i have no capacity to change it right i, I don't have a program called tomorrow we repeal gravity right because I'm going to change that but uh where it is that i'm focusing on on bringing the the arguments and the science and the data to people i'm not going to say well that's where we're heading mm-hmm. um but um people tend to segregate by intelligence. And um, if there is a low IQ, IQ population moving into a high IQ population, there's going to be segmentation, segregation, and friction. Especially, of course, if people don't understand that there may be differences between these ethnicities, they're just going to scream racism at all the white people from here to mm-hmm. eternity. And that's a pretty shitty place to be for white yeah. people to just be blamed for the results of uh, of evolution. I mean, it's, it's so unfair. It's so wrong and uh, i think it's time we just we have to push i mean i hate having to have these conversations to be honest with you i mean i i really really enjoyed a lot of the anarchist stuff and i you know people are like hey man you just keep talking about these differences it's like well if they stopped showing up in the news and screwing up society i wouldn't have to talk about these things yeah. right uh yeah people segregate uh i think in particular along uh, iq lines and uh, and along cultural lines and to to some degree along race lines you know we're a tribal species and uh I wish it were different. I wish we were all philosophical, and I wish we all had the same bell curve of intelligence. But, you know, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. And, we, you know, wishing doesn't do, do any good. So I'd be very happy if all the data was the same for all ethnic groups. I'd be very happy if we didn't have to have these conversations. But I tell you, I'm, I'm pretty fucking pissed off that after having been screamed at as being part of a racist patri- patriarchy for 30 years, um, the answer seems to be that it's not my fault, and the people who were screaming at me, are fact-rejecting assholes. And um, that's pissing me off. So that's where my heart's at.
3: Sure. All right. Uh, thank you very much. It's been really enlightening. You really did uh, answer a lot of... I, I definitely am going to, uh, you know, look more into, you know, try to uh, sponge up more as much knowledge as possible. It really is, you know, uh, it really is telling, you know, you, d- you just have... Uh, such, uh, there's such a difference in knowledge, you know, uh, between you and I, I don't have the words to say sometimes, but, uh, I've, I very much appreciate you. You've, um, I've actually, actually made a very large, uh, life, life decision based off, uh, one of your talks, uh, the truth about procrastination in, in which I really looked at my, uh, life uh, in, a, in a fundamentally different way and started to live for myself more. And uh, it caused me to move halfway across the country away from my parents. Long story short, uh, dropped out of school to pursue my own thing and uh, hopefully be happy. But uh, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a great, great talk. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you. Very, very kind words. I hugely appreciate that. And uh, congratulations on that. And yeah, the procrastination video, uh, somewhat underappreciated. Of course, it's a long time ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first take was even better, but the audio got messed up. Uh, <laughs> Second no, no. take is out mm-hmm. there. But uh, I appreciate that. Maybe we should uh, post that below this. I think people should get a chance to see that if they haven't. It was a good show. But thanks sure. very much. I appreciate, uh, Emil. It was great chatting with you. All right. Thank you.
1: Alright, up next is Nicholas. He wrote in and said, It is my opinion that the right try to persuade prospective listeners by logical reason more so than feelings. Besides a few exceptions, I think a majority of right-leading personas can participate in rational discourse without consistent logical errors or appeal to emotions. Remember, this is from a European's perspective. In addition, there are of course exceptions on the left, but the correlation is less so on the logical thinking, in my opinion. It has long been my own belief that the logos, or logical, will ultimately win over the pathos, emotional. We just have to subject them long enough and surely they will change. It strikes me, however, that I do not have historical references proving my thesis, nor do I see any evidence in reality of this. I think to myself that the cognitive dissonance will at some point put my opponents at a dead end and it will become obvious to him. However, I'm having serious doubts on presumptions. What are our trump cards and how do we convince the logically weak? Why did we not play the left's game? Why abandon the tactics which measure on a historical scale regardless of era? Why do we persist with logos, logical, when the left in the strict sense have won all the battles since the late 1960s? We are making headways, but it's still on their terms.
0: No, yeah. It's a good question. It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, my thinking is evolving continually in this area. And it's kind of funny, you know, when you're a public figure, particularly public intellectual figure. If you don't change your opinions, then you're called dogmatic and resistant to new evidence. But if you do change your opinions, you're called a flip-flopper. It's right. one of these no-win situations that you just have to shrug and, and walk past. Uh, but you do have to, of course, um, you know, now that I've been in the public sphere, going on 10 years, um, trying to bring reason and evidence to the world. And I think we're doing a great job, you know, with uh, people's support, com slash donate to to help out. But um I think that you constantly have to monitor your successes and failures in what it is that you're doing. And in some ways, um, we're further ahead than I expected to be. And in other ways, we're much further behind than I expected to be in the spread of philosophy. So I think that these questions that you, you bring up are um, very, very important and very helpful. Um, what's your experience been in trying to reason with people? Um, my
4: personal experience, um, it takes a very long time via um logical arguments and statistics to persuade somebody to change their opinion. And there's a lot of uh, cognitive uh, dissonance in this um what is what shama call it um in, in trying to persuade somebody it takes a long long time and the cognitive dissonance often if this is a relative or friend to you causes you to not become friends so you subject him to a sort of pain that he he doesn't want to be subjected to does that make sense oh yeah it, I, i'm sorry english is not my first language so it's 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 kind of hard to reach the world i'm i'm looking for at times
0: um, no you're doing great i, I look i uh, i hugely because my my ability to learn any languages other than new computer languages is very limited so yeah, you have huge props for me uh, for not speaking in your native language, particularly in abstract conversation. So don't, don't apologize for anything.
4: But it's it, uh, an observation. I am from Sweden. An observation is right. that media in Sweden is completely focused on the, a character's um, ethos. If that person is, you know, deemed as far right or doesn't, um, you know, is not a socialist. He will become attacked for his ethos. They will not uh, attack whatever facts his uh, him he, him or her brings to the table. It's always about the ethos, and it's emotional. Uh, it, we you've discussed in length the um, the migration crisis to Europe. The, now there was a three year old child who's. Um, who tragically died upon the beach upon, I think it was Greece or Turkey or something, something like that. And it's, you know, it's an, an emotional thing, no thinking. Uh, when a statesman or a president or prime minister... No, no, is,
0: sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but it's not an emotional thing. Because, uh, as you know, I mean, the rape statistics in Sweden are pretty horrendous, and the vast majority of these rapes are committed by first or second generation immigrants, mostly from Africa and the Middle East. Yeah. So, if it was emotions, then they would be showing the pictures and we talked about including them in the recent talk that I gave on this but uh, they 're so brutal i just didn 't want to shock and, and and horrify people. You just do a, a search for Swedish rape victims and click on images and you 'll see these mashed up faces of women who 've been brutalized by these immigrants so it 's not it 's not just emotion it's 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 propaganda yeah. right emotion is okay well there 's this kid who died, but then there are these women who got raped, and of course i 'm not saying the two are causal. And, of course, there's, you never find out the real facts, right? There's a lot of people on that boat who say that this was a human smuggler taking $10,000 to smuggle people into Europe. And he brought his, his family along so that people would be reassured as to the safety of the vessel. People on the boat saying it was supposed to be a 15-minute trip. The, the boat was way overloaded. And the guy drove really badly. And that's why he wrecked himself. Yes. So it's not to, you say. It's, well, it's emotion versus logic. No, it's it's propaganda. I mean, the emotions can be perfectly valid, but this is just one-sided propaganda designed to shut everyone up who disagrees with the dominant narrative.
4: Oh, oh yeah, uh, don't get me wrong. What I, what I mean is it it's um, it's by design. Um, uh, it's by design um, meant to appeal to people's emotions rather than thinking. I mean, right. If somebody came to your house and said, you know you know, things are really bad uh, around the neighborhood. I think I'm gonna we're gonna have to bring 10 people into your house. And it's like uh, and and that's about it. Uh, See these pictures of a three-year-old child? It's really bad over here. Uh, They're coming tomorrow. You'd start thinking Christ, I I can't household 10 people. Maybe I can put a a tent outside my house, but that's not a long-term solution. You, You need to think about these things. But it Nobody's thinking about this because we're bombarded. But that's, but
0: that's because there's no shortages, right? Because because we are no longer constrained by shortages, because of fiat currency and government borrowing and debt and all this money printing, there's no shortages. Mm. Look, those of us who whose ancestors grew up in a cold climate, well, we had... And we, right, I think you and I are probably the same, same background in many ways. But we had tough choices to make, which you don't have to make in other places, right? Where food falls out of the trees and you're never really going to get that hungry. You, the main thing you have to worry about is other people, right? Not nature. And a toughness is part of the East Asian and the European mindset. There is a toughness. And that's because people who didn't save for winter, who didn't save their food, who didn't chop the firewood that was necessary, who didn't make the necessary preparations for winter. So let's say that you and I are neighbors, right? Yes. In Sweden in the 15th century. And all summer I'm out there playing volleyball and learning guitar and (laughs) memorizing Latin verse and all that kind of crap while you're slaving away in the fields. And you you finish your work just as winter comes, and you've just you've stored up just enough food for you and your family for the winter, right? And I've been lazy and uh, thoughtless and whatever, right? And I'm doing okay for a bit because you know I got some apples; they haven't gone bad. You know, <laughs> doing okay for a bit. But my horse is my my horse is alive, and you know my cow's doing okay. I don't have enough hay for the cow for the winter but you know cow's doing okay i guess a little hungry but i still got milk for it i can you know first month or two maybe i'm doing okay oh man december comes by man my cow dies (laughs) because i didn't have enough hay or maybe you know before my cow dies cow's getting skinny i come knock on your door and i say hey man i need some hay my cow's hungry right and but you only have enough hay for your cow for the winter right what do you say
4: sorry (laughs) sorry
0: because you're limited right yes because in a very real way it's your family or my family or in a very more real way if you give me the hay to keep my cow alive both our cows are going to die yes and so it's either I have trouble to put it mildly or everybody has trouble but there's no way trouble can be avoided because it's winter you know like if if I live in I don't know Tahiti (laughs) I don't know if Tahiti has bananas, but let's assume it does. If I live in Tahiti and I didn't pick enough bananas for dinner, you know what I can do? Go and pick some more bananas. <laughs> it's like no winter. Yep. Now with winter, it's win lose. Yes. And so there is, and so the the whole Western mindset, the whole European mindset, the whole Northern climate mindset, has developed around limitations and the need to postpone gratification and the need to be a real asshole when you have to be. This is one of the reasons why Europeans are so aggressive and another reason why some of the East Asians and China and Japan have had a history of significant aggression and imperialism because there's a toughness that is necessary to survive in winter. You have to close your heart. Now, to people from warmer climates, that's incomprehensible. It's the R versus the Ks, right? It's for those who don't know what that means, just look at the Gene Wars presentation. So people from warmer climates It's like, hey man, why aren't you giving him a banana? He's hungry. Yeah. It's like because we have six months of no food and we can't hibernate, <laughs> right? And so the whole culture kind of grew up around limits and the necessity of tough choices. And and that partly is what has driven a lot of the, as we talked about in the last call, some of these differences in, in IQ and deferral of gratification and even things like testosterone levels between different ethnicities and so on, right? And so this is when I say people in Europe are nice until they're not nice. Like you'll go help your neighbor your neighbor will come and help you and so on. But if at some point your neighbor is just taking advantage of you, Slam the door. Good luck with winter. I'm sorry if you have to wander off into a blizzard. Maybe I'll give you shelter for the night. But in the morning, I don't care if you're crying and weeping. I got to kick you out because I only have enough food for my family for the winter. Because there's not going to be any new food for another six months or four months or three months or however long it's going to be. Maybe we can trap a rabbit. I don't know. Yeah. But we're not going to get any substantial food for another couple of months. So we gotta, we gotta be assholes. Do, do you know what I mean?
4: Yeah, I, I completely understand what you mean, and I, uh, um, I, I'm fear, I, I, fear, I digress, um, but I, I find it uh, because you brought, brought up, for example, the rape fact, <laughs> whatever you call it. You know, it's a, that that's sort of a hate fact in Sweden? And I find yeah, it and
0: the, the idea that something could be both a fact and hatred is insane, pointing out the fact that a lot of women are getting raped in Sweden by third world immigrants, if that's a fact, how can it be hateful
4: well i, I don't dis- disagree with you, it's just I, I i guess um the left thinks if 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 we tell the truth, if I'm gonna be a bit nice again, uh, towards them, it's a slippery slope and and hey-ho, um, Hitler is reborn. And, and, and to a degree, right. it's, it's probably
0: correct. And that's going to be a, sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because what, what is going to happen is that the longer you defer your limits, the harsher those limits become. Right? So if if you're, if you're drinking because you're depressed or you're socially anxious or whatever... The more you use alcohol to cover up your problems, the worse your problems get. And you're either going to die or you're going to run out of alcohol or you're going to decide to go cold turkey, quit, right? In which case, all your problems are going to come crashing in on you, including now the alcoholism as well, right? Yep. And if you borrow money rather than go to work, you can live for quite a while. You can swap around. You can extend and pretend. You can get new cards to pay your old cards. You can whatever, right? Yep. But the longer you put it off, the worse it is when it hits, right? Yeah. Now, we, of course, in the West, have done this. We've kind of turned a winter-based society into a tropical society. Insofar as we have released ourselves from the rational limits of our environment. We've done that partly through the generation of wealth, but more in particular through government. Right. Through through fiat currency, through borrowing, through printing, through crazy overspending, through through making promises we can't possibly fulfill and unfunded liabilities in the hundreds of trillions of dollars. Yes, that's trillions, hundreds of trillions of dollars. And so we've we've kind of turned we've taken polar bears in a sense, and put them in the tropics. We've created this environment of infinite resources, which is more associated with the tropics without the associated angry bees and hellacious pathogens and angry insects of every kind. So we've kind of taken a personality and cultural structure, a brain structure, you could say, that has for tens of thousands of years adapted itself to significant limits on resources, and we've turned on the spigots of tropical food production and so what's happened is before people would have said well i'm i think it's a terrible shame that you had to turn away that person because you didn't have enough food to share but we understand right now yeah. if you have to choose between your family and someone else's family evolution demands you choose your family and anybody who didn't choose that didn't evolve and that gene is not around right yeah and so what's happened is we've created tropi- tropical abundance in an environment that is specifically designed to manage resources and defer gratification. And there's a reason why all of the people from the third world want to come to Europe, because they get all of the abundance that they get in the third world, but without all the associated corruption and horror that goes along with all that abundance, right, yeah. for a variety of evolutionary reasons which everyone can look up for themselves if they want. But the problem is the abundance cannot last because it's an illusion. It's extended pretend. It's dead. So what's going to happen is the money is going to seriously run out. Like, oh, my God. (laughs) Worse... It is going to be a worse crash if nothing is done to avoid it or, or slow its descent. It is going to be a worse crash than has ever been seen before in human history. Because there's, been, there's never been this amount of debt before in human history. This amount of inflation, this amount of turning money into a superstition never occurred before in human history. And so what's going to happen is the tropics are going to freeze over. Right, the tropics in terms of the fantasy of infinite resources that is really only available in the tropics that's been created in people adapted to a cold climate, the fantasy of infinite resources in a cold climate is going to crash. And then, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about and then there will be a lot of not niceness because all of those dormant genes, all of those dormant impulses are going to be there. And people can switch from R to K pretty quickly because actually that's a way of keeping the R genes alive, right? The the reason we are R and K is because we can switch between the two. Because if R's were R's until the death, the gene would be wiped out every time there was a limitation in resource, any time there was a shortage of crops or any time there was an ice age, right? The R's will go dormant by switching on the K. And the K is not pretty, When there's an excess population and a deficiency of resources, Ks are not pretty. And they will do what it takes to survive. And that's what we want to avoid. Does this make any sense at all?
4: No, I I completely understand. Um, I think you're a couple of years ahead of time. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah. I know the, the Swedish system and I know the European, or the Swedish system and in particular, it's like, a, it will be like a domino game because it's heavily invested uh, in debt uh, on all levels. Uh, you already have the largest or the highest marginal taxes in the world. It's going to go off and then at the end of the line, somebody's going to start pointing fingers. And all you need in, in, like for example, in Germany or in Sweden, uh, an authoritative figure and the ball's rolling.
0: Cut. Oh, as soon as the resources run out, um, people switch from R to K. And uh, outsiders then become the enemy. And there will be unbelievable ruthlessness and brutality in the maintenance of the um, local gene set. Because I mean, because people are saying, well, let's just we give welfare to these migrants as if there's money. There's no money. There's no money. You're just going into debt, which means it's going to get way, way worse. And um, this doesn't mean, of course, that you can't ever have people from the tropics come and live in cold climates or vice versa. Of course you can. It's to be free market based. It can't be welfare state based. It can't be delusion based. It's like me building a house on a glacier that's heading south. <laughs> it's going to melt. My house is going to sink.
4: But it's a, so you, you talk a, a bit as it's inevitable. I think to a degree it is inevitable because I look at my society. I look what kind of society I was raised in. Um, and that's one, my original question, you know. I, you cannot talk to people in this society. You cannot reason with people in this society.
0: Um, I'm doing my best. You know, I'm doing my best. And, and the only thing I can hope, there will be – look – There are some people who will listen to reason. There are other people who who will listen to reason because you put forward the principles, right? You put forward the principles and they go, well, those principles, I can't find a way to argue against them. So I'm going to alter my perspective to match up to that, which I cannot disprove, right? That's a rational, mature, intelligent thing to do. Number one, those people will listen to reason. And those are primarily the people that I'm talking to, people like yourself and the other callers and so on, right? They listen to reason. Not many. Not a big percentage of the population. And we've got the death of reason as a presentation. People more of the science in this. And those are number one. Then no, The second group of people are the people who will remember your arguments, but will discount them until the evidence overwhelms their resistance. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? So there are people, like, they're diabetic, and you say, oh, you should take your insulin or whatever, right? You should manage your blood sugar. And they're like, good, okay, you, you know, you make sense. You show me the argument. So here's what I'm going to do it, right? And there are other people who are like, ah, you know, I get what you're saying. I don't really think it's that important, right? And then they face plant because they do something that's against what the best practices are for managing diabetes, right? And then they're like, okay, man, <laughs> I get it, right? So there's some people who are like you got to brush your teeth because you're going to get cavities, and they're like, okay, I'll brush my teeth, I won't get a cavity. Other people are like, eh, you know, I get it, but I don't think it's that important. And then they get some god awful cavity that they have to have drilled, and they're like, okay, okay, I'll brush, my teeth, right, I'll brush my teeth. So they they remember the arguments, but until the evidence compels them, so to speak, they will not act upon... They won't learn by principle, but at least they will learn from experience or empiricism or consequences or whatever you want to say, right? Yeah. Now, the number of people that I'm able to reach through principled argument is very few. However, it's my hope, of course, that people like yourself and the other listeners put out these arguments to other people. Now then, when the limitation is reached, there are not enough people in a democratic society or any society at least that's been known throughout history, I think there is not enough people in any current society to prevent the end of the resources that is coming. Because there are too few people who understand that you don't have to suffer to make better decisions. You can make better decisions based on principle. There are just not enough Ks out there at the moment to to make that case. However, if enough of us spread that the system is unsustainable, that there is going to be a crash, then when the crash hits, they'll listen to us. That's the only thing that I hold out hope for. Not that we can avoid or prevent a crash, but that when the crash hits, we will suddenly be vaulted to the top of credibility because the people who predicted it should be the people that everyone comes to for what's next. And we will be competing with the demagogues and the tyrants who want what's next to be a new dark age. So we're going to be out there, light versus dark, fighting the good fight. So I put out the arguments to meet, to reach the few people of reason and hope that they'll spread the predictions. When the predictions come true, credibility goes up, and then you can tell people what's next. And that the problem has been a lack of freedom and an excess coercion, not a lack of coercion. <laughs> and so that, I think, is, is the... It's the goal that I have. And of course, you know, peaceful parenting and all the stuff that people can do to prepare the ground for a generation of people who are more able to listen to reason. If, if reason is not the enemy, see, if you're, if you're commanded and yelled at and brutalized and spanked by your parents, reason becomes your enemy. Because reason reveals that your parents were jerks, were cruel, were vicious, right? We bond with our parents. It's a hard thing for people to take. But if you're raised rationally, empirically, philosophically, through negotiation and virtue a show like this is not any kind of enemy to you because it reveals how great your parents were, not how troubled and aggressive they were. And so in terms of why don't we abandon logic and simply do the appeal to emotion? Because, first of all, I don't think a race to the bottom of infinite cruelty is going to end up with us winning, right? You... you. The, the, people, the people who run public discourse are most, mostly exquisitely well-trained and natural verbal sadists. <laughs> the, the media are just incredibly well-practiced and entirely natural verbal sadists. And you can see this whenever you read something, it becomes yawningly boring. I can't really read much mainstream media anymore because it's all just so boringly predictable. Oh, George Clooney is anti-Trump. What a sh- Like, You know, it's just natural, right? It's just—it's so oh, you know. Oh, he, oh he, you see this with the discussions of Trump. You know, nobody talks about any facts. They all just try and portray him as a lunatic and a clown and a buffoon and a—you know—just usual crap, right? Now, if you would—if you were to pay me a million dollars to write a really snarky, sarcastic, i mean, I'd have a tough time doing it because it doesn't come naturally to me. I kind of gravitate towards reason and evidence. So the idea that these people who were obviously severely traumatized and dehumanized in early infancy and toddlerhood, who grew up surrounded by exquisite verbal abusers, who have developed this poison tongue and poison pen methodology to a truly fine art black belt degree... The idea that I, who have a very basic and wholesome approach to human communication, can suddenly go in and fight dirty with these verbal sadists and win, I think is... They they want to lure you in, right? They want to lure you into that fight because, you know, it's the old thing about, you know, if you don't wrestle in shit with a pig because you get covered in shit and the pig enjoys it. Um, I think you have to take the high road, at least I do, because I... I can't win in those fights, and I would not be the person I am if I could. I I wouldn't be in that fight. I'd be on their side, right? Yeah, yeah.
4: I hear you. I understand what you're saying. It's just, uh, it's food for thought. I'll I'll take it with me. I'll think about it.
0: Uh, I think being more assertive is helpful, right? I I think recognizing that there are enemies that need to be fought, right? Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals is a book that people should read just as the manual for... Um, dogmatic religious secular assholes who want to rule the planet with lies but um, it is uh, you know it's a good it's good at explaining how this stuff uh, all works and uh, I think that uh, it's worth reading but you know I don't know if you want to take on those tactics because we still need to reach people of reason who are willing to to think uh, and willing to examine their assumptions and come to better conclusions and so on because if all we do is sway a bunch of emotionally volatile people, we're going to assume that there's no demagogue who's not going to sway them back with greater skill, which is most likely, right? I mean, I have a great respect for training and I have a great respect for experience, right? I'm not subject that much to the Dunning-Kruger effect because I'm really good at a few things. I recognize how difficult it is to become good at anything. I just, I can't compete with the demagogue because I've got, you know, 30 plus years in reason and evidence, I just can't switch that over to the exact opposite, right?
4: No, it, it's just the the originals, the cultural Marx, Marxists, the originals, the really intelligent people who designed all of this that media is reproducing today. Or, um, I mean, I don't think that most journalists or public media is are aware of their um, ideology. It's just something they reproduce. There's something they've, uh, it's in, in their system. I don't, I
0: don't know. I don't think... know, No, no, you know, I, you know I, you're trying to step in the head of these people. And I don't know that that's valuable. I don't know the, what, to what degree people believe the bullshit they spin. I mean, and what does it matter? I don't care how hungry the lion is. If it's coming at me, I'm going to run or shoot. You know, I don't care if he's, I don't care if the, babe, if the bear is defending its territory or is hungry, or is in a bad mood, or, you know, is just playing with me. I don't, like, I don't, what does it matter? What does it matter whether the shark is territorial or hungry? The bite is the same. So, I, you know, I'd really caution you against trying to pass through the veil of evil people's foreheads and trying to rummage around in their motivations. I don't care. Why, why would I care? I mean, Churchill didn't say, well, you know, Hitler did have a bad childhood and he did have a case about the backstab in the World War One, and blah, 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 when the communists were taken over and they were afraid of a genocide against Christians and, right? I mean, no, <laughs> he's trying to bomb the shit, and, right? Blah, right? It, don't, you know, this empathy, empathy is for minded people. Empathy is for the empathetic. Empathy is not to be used against the cold hearted. You just, you reach your heart in there. They don't get warmer. You just freeze. You just just freezes up. I mean, I really, really strongly caution you against trying to empathize with enemies. Uh to, to try and empathize with those who are hell-bent on your destruction. Uh the only way that you ever want to empathize with them is to try to figure out what their next move is, not why yeah, their next that, move is. That's but my what point. What's their next, What's moves, their their next move? Yeah, but whether they believe they're bullshit or not doesn't matter. Right? if 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 you have an enemy who is like in war who's trying to take some town. His motive for doing it doesn't really matter. Trying to figure out what his next move is going to be is going to be helpful in terms of trying to counteract it. But his fundamental motive, whether he believes in the virtue of what he's doing, whether, you know, it's who cares? You know he's going to do it and you get to figure out his tactics. But his base motivations and why... He's doing it. Uh, does, he wanna, you know, does the general want a promotion? Does he want to go out in history books? Uh, is he pleasing his military father who always disapproved of him? You know, does he have a tiny penis and wants a big howitzer? I, like, who cares? And you'll never know. You'll never, ever, ever know. Because the only way you'd ever know somebody's true motivations is if that person was scaldingly honest and had deep self-knowledge. Right? What do we know about evil, manipulative people? They're not honest because they're manipulative, and they do not have self-knowledge. So, if you try, like you're you're trying to figure out the mind of a fictional character, you're trying to figure out the motives of an imaginary being called an honest manipulator.
4: Oh no! Not You really. will never ever know. What I want is their audience. And I, my theory or thesis is that, uh, uh, just like with intelligence, I don't necessarily think that all intelligent people have to be logical. But I think there is a bigger proportion of um, very intelligent people who sway through logical thinking. But, (laughs) you know. It's the them
0: rock. Okay, you want their audience. Okay, I'll tell you a little something about it. I've got some experience with audiences by this time. I'll tell you something about audiences. Most people in history simply don't exist and have no relevance and no reality and no show on history whatsoever. And why is that? Because they simply say, who can give me the greatest benefit and who can give me the greatest punishment? That's all they're doing. Now, right now, the media will praise people who are leftists and multiculturalists and blah, 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 blah. And they will attack other people who aren't that way. Right? This is why I said, oh, George Clooney, oh, he's anti-Trump. What a shocker, right? Oh, of course he is, right? Because if he's pro-Trump, his movie career is jeopardized. So he doesn't care about Trump. He doesn't have any opinions that are any principle, anything like that. His wife is a lefty and he works in a lefty industry. So guess what? He's anti-Trump. Oh, my God. What a shock! The sun is over here, the tree is here, the shadow is over there, right? The power is over here, the individual who wants to benefit from that power is here, and that is the shadow caused by their conformity with those in power. That's all it is. Most people are just like, oh, okay, so I'm praised for doing this and I'm punished for doing that? Okay, I'll do this and do not do that and pretend I'm making a moral choice? They don't exist. They don't exist. I mean, in any fundamental way in terms of their effects. They just going with the flow and, and so on. So you you can't get their audience because right now, reality has nothing to offer the delusional. Nothing. In fact, reality greatly punishes the delusional. Right? Because right now, reality is like Stanley Kowalski and, and the, the, the general population is like Blanche Dubois from A Streetcar Named Desire. Any kind of reality is a house of cards for most people what they charitably could be called their mind, right? So you have nothing to offer the deluded because the deluded do not want truth, reason, and evidence. They're living in delusion sustained by violence and counterfeiting. The force of taxation and the counterfeiting of fiat currency is what sustains their delusions. So the only people they want to listen to are the people who deny reality and enhance their delusion. When reality begins to crack through these delusions, when the wall is hit and the lies and the fantasies of infinite resources cannot continue, then suddenly the people telling them lies will no longer provide them a benefit and the people telling them the truth will provide them a benefit, right? And they'll go like, oh, you know, the sun has moved. The benefit is now over here. So the shadow has moved, right? But the sun doesn't think it's pushing the shadow. It just moves. The shadow moves on its own. People's allegiance will change when the lies prove more costly than the truth. Right now, the truth is far more costly than the lies. In the future, when the lies run out of the capacity to sustain themselves, the truth will be more valuable than the lies. And this is the pendulum back and forth with the state and God and brutal parenting. This is the same bullshit. This is a pendulum. Only philosophy can break this stupid cycle of history. And so right now, the left is saying, we'll we'll punish you. We'll make it painful for you to, to tell the truth. Now, at some point in the future, the lies will run out. And then anybody who tells the truth will be more valuable, and everyone will be like, oh, yeah, you know, I was your fan when you were still playing clubs, man. (laughs) I've been around with you since the beginning, man. You've always been the shit. I I watched your second podcast. I was the third person to donate to you. Man, I've always been, right? Of course, right? And, and, you know, I'm I'm not mad about this. It's just the rational division of labor among the species. Not everyone can be a philosopher. Not everyone can be an open-heart surgeon because other people got to do other stuff, right? They're not mad about it. It's just the reality. And so trying to argue people who've adapted to conform to whoever gives them the most resources and recoil from anyone who can punish them, well, they'll, they'll do that. And, and that's natural. I mean, they're followers and they're leaders probably in their own areas, but in this big moral sphere, they're followers. So you have to lay the ground and wait for circumstances to change, Right? You ever do this? I don't know. Like, I, I try to stay out of the sun, right? Especially since I had radiation therapy. I'm trying to get a big, giant Tilly hat and stuff, right? Try and stay out of the sun. So sometimes I'll sit, if I'm doing some reading or whatever, I'll sit and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to sit over here. The shadow of the tree will be, you know, will cover me in a few minutes or whatever. I just, you know, I don't want to run and wait for the shadow to cover me. And so this is what it is in society. You say, what's going to happen? Nobody listens to you because they're punished for listening to you. And they're rewarded for listening to liars because the liars hold the power. The liars could be the key to the infinite resources that everyone imagines can go on forever. Like this is how insane it is in the world at the moment. It took 125 years for the American government to raise, to go $1 billion in debt, right? Right now, the U.S. government is spending... The amount of money it took 200 years to accumulate, it spends in a little over 25 years. That is how insanely quick the stored up capital and savings of prior responsible generations is being burnt and squandered. And this is after the Civil War and two world wars and the Cold War. Right? This is how much... This is how much they used to save even with all those disasters. Now it's all being burnt and squandered. The seed crop is being devoured at an astonishing rate and then the resources are going to run out. And then the people will have a choice. The people who said there were no problems have been proven to be liars. The people who said this is not going to end well have been proven to be truth tellers. Now, human beings are crazy, but they don't want to die. Because crazy genes could live in a crazy tribe. But the genes that wanted to die, they didn't live. So when cho- when they choose, have to choose between death and reason, they would choose reason. Because any genes that chose death did not get positively selected into the next generation, at least not very well. So when the liars are revealed to be liars and the ones who predicted it are are revealed to be the truth-tellers, people will align themselves with the truth-tellers because they valued the truth? No. (laughs) Of course not. Because now the people who are telling the truth have more value to them than the people who were lying before. That's all. Right now, you can't win because what do we have to offer people? Social ostracism, punishment, blah, blah, blah. Yay! Right? Feminists won't sleep with you. (laughs) It's okay, because what if they changed their minds the next morning? (laughs) But right now, the government is providing infinite resources, and wherever there are infinite resources, you end up with single-parent families, and denigration of the male, and males become progressively irresponsible, and the usual R-selected bullshit, right? Now, the government is creating an R-environment, which can't possibly last. When the R-environment stops lasting then feminists will lose power, which is why they want it to go on as long as possible. Because when the infinite resources run out, women will need men to take care of them when they are pregnant and have children and, and so on. And they won't be able to get their free cheese and cheddar from the government, so they have to go to the dairy farmers of testicles, right? They have to go to the men to get their resources, right? And, uh, you know, people are like, oh, man, if we run out of money, what's going to happen to the single moms? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen to the single moms. They're going to have to be a lot nicer to men. They're going to have to cross their legs and grit their teeth when studly criminal comes along, right? And, and flashes his gold tooth and, you know, his tattoos or whatever, right? I got a Harley. Do you have a job? vroom vroom okay cross my legs grip my teeth and wait for some boring guy with a pudgy belly and an income right
1: when the studly criminal comes by and asks for their vote
0: (laughs) oh yeah well no because once once they hit the wall the politicians aren't going to have anything to offer them right and so so all that will happen is that Right now, men have nothing to offer women because they're getting their stuff from the government. And so the feminists can say, oh, you do it yourself, girl, and you don't need a man. It's like, well, okay. Yeah, I don't need a job if I just won the lottery. (laughs) I get it, right? But when the lottery money runs out, I go back to work, right? And so right now, like the idea that there's this big feminist move it's nothing. It's not like this big feminist movement, this big multicultural movement, this big Marxism, this big social. It's nothing. It it doesn't exist in any fund. It's just predicated on violence and counterfeiting. It's the mere shadow caused by power. And that power can't last and it can't sustain. And people won't listen to reason as long as they're being paid to applaud lies and punished for listening to reason. But reality reasserts itself always. And single moms will be like, you can't take away my welfare. I needed to... Oh, is it gone? Okay, I'll just find some man who now doesn't have to be forced to be married to me and who now... I actually have to provide value to and make his life a better place or in order for him to provide value to me, so they'll just be nicer. People are adaptable. They'll survive. We went through an ice age. We can go through the end of the welfare state. I think we'll make it. <laughs> We're not dinosaurs, you know. Oh, no, <laughs> a meteor fell. There's fewer plants. We're all dying. <laughs> I mean, we'll make it. We're fine. It'll be good. It'll be exciting. it be fun. And people will have to be nicer to each other when the government isn't giving you free stuff then you actually have to be nice to your community. Like people people writing to me, like I put this thing out about my cancer and stuff and people are writing like, well, what if you're poor and you get sick and you don't have the money? It's like, well, people will help you because you've been nice to them because you've helped them. You know, what if I'm on a farm and I, I need to build a barn and I don't have enough money to hire people to build my barn? It's like, well, no, it's okay. You don't need to worry about that because you've gone and helped other people. To build their barns. And so they'll come and help you build your barns, right? Well what if what if what if I get sick and nobody wants to help me? It's like, well, you should have been nicer. <laughs> you should have helped other people. What if I get sick and I've never helped anybody at any time and I've always been selfish and all I did was stay home and turn my stereo up loud and fart out the window and uh, play Call of Duty really loud and ignore my neighbors when they asked me to be quiet but then called the cops anytime they played anything loud, especially that classical that don't even get me started on Chinese opera. I can't. I spent my whole time being selfish, never helped anyone out, never offered to babysit anyone, never bought anyone any food when they were sick, never did anyone any favors, never helped anyone, and then I get sick. And I spent all my money on video games and PS4 porn. And now what happens? Well, you reap what you sow, man. <laughs> if you live a whole life of selfish taking and you never help out anyone else and you never save any money, I'm sorry. It's the double D formula. Dicks die. Can't help you. <laughs> maybe that will teach you, not. maybe teach other people not to be a dick. Hey, remember that guy? He was a total dick, and he never helped anyone, and he was just annoying as shit. And, you know, when he'd carry his garbage down the hallway of the apartment building, it could be dribbling out the most inhuman, satanic piss crap coming out, and he'd never wipe it up. He'd just slop stuff down and slam his door really loud and turn his story up really late at night. But enough about Whitney Houston, kid. (laughs) But what, like, remember that guy? And then he got sick, and people were like, I don't care. Sooner you die, the sooner I get some sleep. Sooner I don't have to stroll through your pissy garbage crap down the hallway. Oh, I better not be that guy. <laughs> I mean, this is how people learn in society. People say, well, what if I get sick and no one wants to help me? They say, I want being a dick to be subsidized, <laughs> right? I, I want to gain the benefits of people liking me without actually having to have people like me, <laughs> right? Why did people... Send me money for my operation because they didn't want me dead. My life was worth it to them, or another way of putting it, let's say you sent in a hundred bucks to help me get my operation. Your life was better with me alive than having a hundred dollars. right Now let's say you have, you have an operation It's going to cost you twenty thousand dollars, right? You got 20 friends, and they each ship in a thousand dollars. you're fine. But if you don't have 20 people in your life who'd rather have you in their lives than $1,000, you ain't living right. (laughs) You're doing something wrong. (laughs) People don't like you. They don't care about you. They don't love you. You're not providing value to others. You're living selfishly. You're not making the world a better place. You're not helping other people. You're not enriching their lives. I'm sorry to speak to you as if you're on the other side of an airplane hangar, but this is a giant gap of inhuman selfishness that needs to be bridged by language. Be nice. Be helpful. Make other people's lives better because you're breathing. And you know what's a really wonderful thing that will happen if other people's lives are better because you're breathing? They'll help you keep breathing. But first of all, you have to take your head out of your own ass, peel yourself away from all the selfish little stupid pleasures that you call a life. Oh, look, something new came out on Netflix. Oh, look, there's a new video card that I can buy. Rather than help anybody out, I'm going to try and win a trophy online that's going to vanish when the server gets reformatted. Oh, God, can you just peel yourself off your stupid electronic fetish and go and help the world be nicer, be better, be happier, go visit someone who's lonely, make a meal for someone who's hungry, help someone move, I don't care, just do something so that people notice that you're there, not in annoyance. Oh, my God. It's the only reason that people know you're alive is that you're walking with hard souls on the floor above their apartment. That's the only reason people know you're alive. I think I heard some music there a week or two ago. Do you even exist in your social environment? Do your neighbors know you? Do your friends look to you for help? Do they call you up when they have troubles? And not in that vampiric, parasite, codependent way, but in a way that's actually they listen and do things better. Is the world a better place because you're in it? If the world is a better place because you're in it, the world will be invested on you continuing to be in it and won't let you die. But I want to be selfish and then have people love me. <laughs> it's not subsidization. Of laziness, that's the problem with socialism and forced redistribution of wealth. It's subsidization of selfishness. Make people happier. Make people happier. Do something that makes their lives better. That puts a little bit of a spring in their step. That gives them hope for the future. That gives them courage in the face of evil. That gives them strength in the face of the infinite calumnies that small-minded people can hurl at great souls. Give them some support. Give them a shoulder to cry on. Give them a boost over the wall of inhibition. Give them a propulsion over the challenges of insecurity. Be there for them. Make them grateful that you're alive. Make them love the fact that you exist. And you will never want for anything You will never go hungry. You will never go without shelter. You will never go without health care. You will never want for anything, least of all, love. Love the world. Help others. Make the world a better place for the good people and a worse place for the evil people, which is basically saying the same thing. Help other people out. And then you won't worry about how to pay for what you need to pay for. Because people will love you enough that they will be your welfare state. They will be your social safety net. And you know what's great about this? Because you're not selfish, because you're helping other people, you won't have to scream for people with guns to get you what virtue would have given you for free. I have a roof over my head. I have food in my belly. I'm alive. (laughs) Because people help pay for my health care treatment. I have a camera. Ding, 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 ding. A microphone. I have a shirt. Sorry about that, but, you know, if I take it off, I'm kind of indistinguishable from this ping pong background. I am alive because people love me. Because I'm doing good things for them. And this is why I don't need a welfare state. This is why anybody who says, what about the poor? What they're saying is, I'm a selfish son of a bitch. So who's going to want to help me if I get into trouble? So I need guns pointed at people to give me stuff because I didn't earn it by being nice to them and helpful to them. The welfare state is a vicious enclosure for jerks who don't help people. For jerks that no one loves. I need the government to give me stuff because no one wants to give me stuff. It's like people who say, well, this woman owes me sex because I'm horny. <laughs> well, that's kind of creepy, right? Well, people owe me money because I'm, I'm in need, right? Well, my question is, how did you deal with with the world when other people were in need. How did you deal with your friends when they were in need? How did you deal with your friends when they had a bad breakup or when they got sick or when they ran out of money or when they failed an exam? Were you there for them? Did you bring them up? Did you help them out? Don't talk to me about your needs. Talk to me about your generosity. And if you don't have that generosity, don't talk to me about your needs because I don't care. But all people want to do is, oh, I need this, and what about And they sow these seeds of insecurity. Well, what if this big, bad disaster happens? And what if, I don't worry about that. I mean, obviously, I worry about disasters happening, but I don't worry about, can I financially survive them? Because people care about me. Because I provide value to them. This is why people donate, freedomainradio.com slash donate. You know that your world is a little bit better because I'm in here doing what I'm doing. You know that you have to work a little bit less hard for virtue because I'm working so damn hard for virtue. You know that you have to be a little bit less philosophical because you can point people at me and I can take the hits for you. I can be the human shield for you to get your ideas across. Well, there's this interesting guy. He's kind of controversial, but, you know, maybe have a look at this, right? Oh, good. I don't have to talk about the migrant crisis because Steph's video has done half a million views. Soon, <laughs> right? So I don't, have to, I don't have to talk about race and IQ because he's not, I don't have to talk about feminism. I don't have, good, he's doing it. Good, it's off my plate. Someone's doing it. I don't have to do it. Yay. <laughs> right? And so I can do this stuff and the people pay me for it because they know that this stuff needs to be done. They know these conversations need to be had. They don't want to do it. I can understand that. So they'll pay me because I'm doing it and they know it needs to be done. It's okay. I sponsor families around the world cuz I don't want to fly out and bring them cheese myself. <laughs> Division of labor is totally fine. But everyone who says I'm scared of the government not being there for the poor people, <laughs> those other people I'm concerned that the that, that the government is going to help them. They're not talking about other people <laughs> generally. They're basically... They might just have a big sign on their forehead. I'm selfish. I don't help the world. Nobody loves me. And I don't want to accept those consequences. And I sure as hell don't want to have to start being nice. So I'm just going to vote for free shit. Enforced by guns. That's a big confession. I'm a horrible person. And only the government would want to help me to buy my vote out of contempt. (laughs) It raises the demand for virtue for there to be no welfare state, right? Because if there's a welfare state, you don't have to be good to be supported. You don't have to help people to be helped in return. You just have to sell your fucking vote like a cheap dime store truck stop whore. You just sell your vote rather than be a good person. You sell off the future of your children rather than be a good person. You sell off the stability of your country and the savings of your forefathers. You sell off everything rather than get out of your fucking chair and be a good person and help the world. You'll sell off any shit that you want. You'll sell off other people's kidneys to get a Diet Coke because nobody wants to bring you anything because you don't care about anyone and you don't do anything for anyone, anytime, anywhere. So you're just some fucking parasite who goes and crawls up the ass of government and shits out the future of his children because you can't get off your ass and help people out in the world to the point where they'll care about whether you're alive or fucking dead. What happens if the poor people don't do this and nobody cares about them? You're not talking about poor people. You're talking about you. Nobody cares that you're alive. You can change that. Stop running to the government to get stuff that virtue and love should get you for free. Oh wait, no, it's not quite free. You will have to give up season 12,000 of The Walking Dead because that's really important. Because, you know, there could be more people in bad makeup who are on the other side of things you need to get to because it's... Uh, right? You might need to give up watching Kevin Spacey go down on some woman in House of Cards. You may not figure out which racial stereotype is the most offensive in Orange is the New Black or Hillary Clinton's biography, Pants Are of the New Orange. You might need to give up expansion 12,000 in World of Warcraft. Yes, I know there's Hearthstone 2. People tell me about it as well. Oh, look. Someone in Tahiti came up with another user expansion in Skyrim where you can buy a palm tree. I better not go help the world because a palm tree that's not real could get me visual stimuli that... Go outside in the world. It's really well rendered. The graphics are excellent. And you've got two GPUs that work beautifully. They're called eyeballs. No. No. I, I can't because people are complicated and I can't reboot them when they're not working. <laughs> the drivers are sometimes mismatched <laughs> and there may be conflict and I don't like that. And there are mean people who might say mean things if are try to help people in a way that's actually helpful. Ah. Anyway, sorry, that rant could probably go on for quite some time. But, uh, yeah, just this all I hear when people say, well, what about the poor that, that nobody will help? Well, will you help them? I'm sorry? I didn't,
4: yeah, I didn't, to my defense, I didn't say anything about the socialist state. I'm. I'm you I didn't,
0: hope. and this was not directed at you. This was you just an innocent bystander in this uh, drive-by ranting.
4: Yeah. Uh, but I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, and I, I think you have a point, um, many points that are valid. Um, just Let's just hope um, this transition <laughs> in society that will happen uh, will be um, less um, violent than it has been before in Europe. I I fear for the worst, though. I'm afraid. But I... I concur with you. It's inevitable.
0: Uh, Yeah, I don't know if the violence is inevitable. A transition is inevitable. Um, We hope to make it as peaceful as humanly possible. But listen, it's a great question. You're welcome back anytime. And uh, congratulations again on your mastery of English. It's it's very good. And I appreciate that.
4: Thanks for having me, uh, Stefan. Uh, Great show. Uh, Thanks to Michael. Everything.
0: Thank you. All right. Have a great night, man. Thanks again for calling in. You too. Bye-bye. And thank you, everyone, of course, for being part of this conversation, for supporting what it is that I do and keeping me on the vertical side of the deep six. Uh, That's six feet underground. Anyway, uh, thanks, everyone, so much. Freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show, do the right thing, help spread philosophy, uh, help avert the disasters that are going to come without philosophy. And uh, thanks so much. Wonderful show, everyone. Have a great night. We'll talk to you soon.